morning and welcome to the program. Welcome to Thursday. It's great to have your company. How about you give me a call? We'll have all the news. We just need your views. 13 12 69 is the open line number if you would like to ring us and say, hey. Emails, we welcome those as always. MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. And if you'd like to send a text, uh, the Fortress text number is open. We can use it here. 0458 049 209. It's Marcus Paul in the morning. On this Thursday, it is February the 11th, 2021. to have your company. How about you give us a call? 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Well, in New South Wales, we look set to steal thousands of jobs from other states, apparently. It's all thanks to a tax cut program designed to lure interstate businesses looking for certainty in the COVID era. Less than two thirds, uh, so beg your pardon, less than two months after the government's relocation tax break program launched, 250 companies at least have so far expressed interest, with Premier Gladys Berejiklian crediting the state's handling of the pandemic as a reason for the influx. Well, that won't make Anastasia Palaszczuk very happy. We know that her and Gladys are rarely on speaking terms. This will make it even worse. Some 13 companies are in the process of full consideration by New South Wales Treasury for relocation tax breaks with investment proposals worth 2,000 new direct jobs alone. Now, the companies so far under consideration hail from Queensland. Again, Anastasia won't be happy about that. As well as South Australia, but the program is open to all states with an exception, uh, with an expectation that it will grow. Now, Premier Gladys Berejiklian specifically cited New South Wales's COVID management strategy when explaining the results. She said the feedback from business is that businesses want as much certainty as possible during COVID and beyond. And New South Wales in particular has demonstrated during the pandemic that we can deal with the economic consequences as well as keeping the virus at bay. Now, you'll remember when the plan was announced last November. We told you about it here on this program. It was all a part of the delayed state budget with a $250 million fighting fund to support companies who want to relocate their head offices to New South Wales or expand their jobs footprints in the states. The companies are offered payroll tax relief for up to four years for every new job created. They also will get fast-track planning approval pathways and subsidised training as well as free government space and accommodation. 
Now, under the terms of the project, the companies will not be publicly named by the government once they expressed interest in the project unless they elect to do so themselves. But, you know, I think we'll probably work out which companies they are. Well, well done. Well done, credit where it's due to the Berejiklian government. It is a good way of creating jobs, providing some, you know, payroll tax relief. New South Wales, as we know, has faced unprecedented challenges as a result of drought, bushfires and COVID-19. But this has demonstrated our strength and resilience and opportunities on creating jobs for the future. Uh, said the Premier yesterday. Now, our economy is the engine room of the nation and Jobs Plus is enticing top-performing companies from other states as well as across the globe. And this cements New South Wales as the place to do business here in Australia. Announcing the program last year, Treasurer Dominic Perrottet said it was a signal to the private sector that New South Wales was the best place to do business and this new program will run until June 2022. The government in particular is targeting advanced manufacturing jobs for the new Aerotropolis, but all proposals will be considered. Meanwhile, the New South Wales government is being urged to extend the COVID-19 regulations in the Environmental Planning and Assessment Act. There are concerns there will be another health scare, and the law allows ministers to make orders relating to the handling of the virus. Urban Task Force Chief Executive Tom Forrest says the fight isn't over, and I agree. I agree with him. Okay, there's just a little bit of news. There's plenty more around. On the program today, uh, we're going to catch up with the Federal Opposition Leader Anthony Albanese. Albo, as you know, yesterday uh, launched some policy objectives in a speech in Queensland. Albo was promising workers a quote-unquote better deal with a suite of reforms to improve job security and provide minimum pay and entitlements to those in insecure work. In a speech that he delivered yesterday, he called for a process to set minimum pay in the gig economy. He says Labor wants portable leave entitlements and will legislate a cap on rolling fixed-term contracts and a requirement for labour hire workers to receive the same pay as co-workers. Well, what do you make of that? Uh, look, it's, it's going to be popular with unions, those uh, you know workers involved within the union movement, no doubt, but it does set up a bit of a stout with the gig economy. In a way, uh, there'll be business operators and owners, etc., that won't be happy about this. The speech is Albo's first major policy announcement since childcare and energy promises in the October budget reply last year. And it comes after a major reshuffle to reset for an election expected later in this year. Despite a rocky start to 2021, fending off leadership grumblings. It's time we put those to bed now. All right, I know there'll be plenty out there in the, in the uh, probably in the Murdoch press that are going to try and stir it up again, but at the end of the day, Albo is there. He's going to stay there. There'll be no challenge, and he will lead Labor to the next federal election. So despite this rocky start to 2021, there is near uh, unanimous support within Labor and strong institutional support from unions campaigning against the coalition's controversial industrial relations omnibus bill. Well, can the Labor Party match Joe Biden's winning message on climate action? Well, perhaps in the speech, 
delivered yesterday in Brisbane. Mr. Anthony, uh, Mr. Albanese said the message will be clear. I mean, he basically says, working Australians, Labor is on your side. That's a reference to the party's new election slogan, perhaps. Labor is on your side. Albanese will promise to add job security as an objective in the Fair Work Act, meaning it can be considered every time a pay deal is registered or changes are sought to the award safety net. There we go. So I'll go into that in more detail this morning, and then just after 8.30, Anthony Albanese will be on the program. 13.12.69 is the telephone number to have you say. It's 16 minutes after 5. How about to give us a call? Let me know what's on your mind this morning. Uh, also on the program, being a Thursday, we'll catch up with uh, our usual chat with Malcolm Roberts. One Nation's Malcolm Roberts on the program. He's got a bit to say about the government's industrial relations reforms as well. He believes they're not genuine. He says that claims, reform, job creation and COVID-19 recovery legislation won't achieve that. So we'll, we'll nut down some of the detail with uh, Malcolm Roberts on the program a little later this morning. Uh, he'll also have a, a little bit of a chat to us about Northern Australia. He says, yet another overreach by a state premier this time. WA in closing down for five days. Uh, we need a better way of managing our community and business in the face of COVID-19, according to One Nation. You'll also have something to say about Albo's speech yesterday and Labor's policy. He believes it will hurt job security. And he doesn't understand uh, the, the fight against the casualisation of the workforce. Well, I'll probably disagree with you on that, Malcolm, a little later this morning. Anyway, that's all on the way. Oh, by the way, too. I think he's going to launch into the World Health Organization. And their uh, not-so-thorough investigation into the origins of COVID-19. Anyway, um, we'll find out what he has to say about that. And also some relation uh, to China as well. So that's with Malcolm a little later in the morning. Uh, there's plenty of uh, police news around. We'll get to some of that for you very soon as well. New research, meanwhile, has found Australia's coal-fired power stations are routinely breaching their licence conditions, putting our community's health at risk and also, of course, the environment at risk. The newly released Coal Impacts Index reveals there have been more than 150 publicly reportable environment breaches since 2015. However, spokesperson for the Australian Beyond Coal campaign, David Ritter, says only a fraction of those, 16, have resulted in any penalties or enforceable undertakings against the miners. Get in contact with Marcus anytime. Email us, MP in the morning at 2SMSupernetwork.com. All right, there will be some more changes uh, around COVID-19 rules in New South Wales. From tomorrow, COVID capacity limits will be relaxed for venues in Sydney. From tomorrow, with the two-square-metre rule replacing the four-square-metre rule in all venues except gymnasiums. However, caps on weddings and funerals will still be restricted to 300 people, while masks will only remain mandatory on public transport, but will, of course, be, quote-unquote, strongly uh, encouraged in other outdoor indoor venues where social distancing is not possible. 
That means, of course, hospitality workers and people attending places of worship will now not be legally required to wear a mask. The changes, which had been previously flagged by the state government, comes as the Premier Gladys Berejiklian announced a return traveller who tested positive days after leaving hotel quarantine was unlikely to have contracted the virus in the hotel. The Premier said the case was more likely to be an historical infection or a case within an incubation period longer than 14 days. There were again no new cases recorded in the 24 hours to 8pm, well, yesterday. And that's from 18,885 tests. Uh, The Premier said the government is concerned about what's happening, of course, in Victoria after additional cases were linked with the Holiday Inn Quarantine Hotel. Not good. program on this Thursday. It's good to have your company at 24 minutes to 6 New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. Look, a new report has found rents are increasing and vacancies are declining in many regional areas of Australia and that places vulnerable people at risk of homelessness. It also warns that tenants who've been able to defer rental payments during COVID-19 now facing a looming crisis as the job market tightens and outstanding rents become due. Dr Cassandra Goldie from the Australian Council of Social Service says it highlights the need for government support to be extended along with the boost to social housing. On the open line, 131269, let's go there now. Hello Bob, how are you mate? Good morning, Mark. Well, thank you, Bob. Mate, what uh, is concerning me at the moment is the outcome with the uh, inquiry into Bangaroo with uh, with the recommendations and some of the things that come out are quite concerning. And mm. the biggest concern that I've got is the influence that uh, Alan Jones has over our politicians in our in our wealthy people. Now, he, he, he brokered a deal between uh, the Crown Casino Consortium and uh, and the government to get the development to go ahead. Now, he entertained him. But I'll take you back to when the Greyhound ban was put in place, where he had, uh, had entertained uh, Greyhound uh, leaders, uh, I mean, you know, people that administered the, the industry, and the Premier at the time, Mike Baird, at his place, where the ban was overturned. And I'm like, that's concerning, I think, that you know, a person that's outside the political system has got so much influence. Well, is he outside the political system? I don't think he is. 
I, well, I don't think he is either, but, you know, how does a, a man have so much clout, you know? You've never asked him. The, I don't know. <laughs> I mate, don't know. It, it's, it's wrong, mate. You know, as me as a voter, I've got no confidence in our political system if that's the case. Well, yeah, I don't want to say too much about uh, Alan because... He'll uh, sue you. Well, no, look, at the end of the day, it, things are slowly turning around, I think. I think they are slowly turning around, Bob, and more and more. I mean, I had a crack yesterday at our opposition. I mean, we're yesterday talking about ongoing issues of, uh, you know, uh, water problems and uh, issues where we have, unfortunately, a disparity of services in regional New South Wales, lack of nurses, lack of doctors. We had, uh, of course, uh, Helen Dalton in on the program yesterday talking about issues in uh, at Griffith Base Hospital where people who are sick and injured are having to take their own bandages to, to get patched up and all the rest of it. We're talking about these issues and yeah, the bloke down the road is having a cosy chat with the Premier like nothing's wrong and it's all about Packer and Barangaroo. Uh, look, I don't think... Everyday Australians uh, living out in the suburbs who are tuning in perhaps to me really give a, a rat's about Packer or Barangaroo, to be perfectly honest. I don't. I couldn't care less. I'm not a, I'm not, uh, a gambler. No, nor, nor, nor do I, Marcus. But what I'm saying, it, it's a threat to our democracy. I don't care for someone like that that's outside the political arena has got so much influence. Yeah, but I'd be more worried, I'd be less worried about Alan Jones and I'd be more worried about big business and uh, mining corporations and the fossil fuel industry and the influence they have in particular on, you know, the Prime Minister and others. I mean, there was a, a 10000 no, I beg your pardon, was it a ten? Yes, it was. A $10,000 a head dinner that was held by um, a lobbyist with miners, etc., uh, with the Prime Minister just this week in Newcastle. Exactly, and what happened is the people that in the PFAS area, William Town, never, never even got a, a mention from him. Well, no, it's wrong. no, because he's probably not interested in, in, in what they have to say. He's more concerned about his agenda. Yeah, well, they're the people who vote for him, unfortunately, mate. Well, like I say... They're conned. Like I say, there's plenty of time to maybe, you know, perhaps open people's eyes up to the way that things could be different. Yeah, mate. All I can say is wake up Australia. You've been dotted. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Uh, yesterday, really interesting, on uh, the ABC Breakfast Show, Greg Hunt. Uh, he's normally very mild-mannered, is Greg Hunt, but he had a bit of a set too with Michael Rowland, who's also usually a, quite a mild-mannered blokies. Michael uh, looks like he wouldn't hurt a flea. But he had a good old crack yesterday at Greg Hunt, and so he should have. So he should have. It's all over the issue of the, uh, the, the Pfizer jabs that are coming, the vaccine, etc., and whether or not the federal government should be including LNP logos, that's Liberal logos in particular, not LNP, Liberal logos, on any of its advertising in relation to the virus. Now, these are supposedly official government's releases and government documentation, so they should fall under the banner of the Australian Federal Government with the Australian seal and not liberal marketing slogans. 
Anyway, here's what happened yesterday. I found it very interesting. When you announced the very welcome 10 million additional doses of Pfizer on your social media channels last week, why did you feel the need to attach a Liberal Party logo to an Australian government announcement? Well, in fact, we made the Australian government announcement as the government um, with the Prime Minister. Mm. But, but I'm I was asking elected, about why the Liberal Michael, Party logo was I know you have there. strong views. I, I'm not having... No, I've just, I just, respect, I'm I will asking answer, why. I'll finish, I'll finish if you let me. Uh, because we predicted that you seem to be the most exercised of any person in the Australian media about this. So uh, I was elected uh, under that banner. Uh, multiple uh, members from across multiple parties do that. I'm a very proud member of uh, that party with a great heritage and tradition in Australia and uh, that's part of the Australian democratic process. So uh, overwhelmingly we do these things as the Australian government on a a particular channel. There's no problem uh, with identifying entirely appropriately within the rules the origins and heritage of that under uh, that banner under which we were elected by the Uh, Australian It's an Australian government announcement. Who, Who paid for the vaccines? Well, uh, let us draw a clear distinction here. I know this is an issue for you. In many ways, uh, you identify with the left. You do this a lot, and, and I respect no, that. Minister, no, Minister, no, uh, no, you, no. You're I, I, open I about that, and, oh, no, and that's I, I, entirely I find, a matter No, I find that offensive. I'm asking you. Oh, I'm, come I'm on, exercised Michael. about what's There's what's, nobody what's who's right watching who doesn't identify you with the left. I'm and, exercised. And you should be open about that. I'm open about my origins, uh, and, in fact, I ran as an elected representative, and there are numerous other examples uh, across a variety of parties. It's important for you to be honest about your position and your origins. Uh, I'm honest about my position and my origins, and indeed uh, I was elected by the Australian people on that basis. I'm bemused, but I did predict but, to people that okay. Michael Rowland would spend 50% of this interview no, on this topic 50%. rather than on the safety of vaccines, right rather than wrong. on the rollout I mean, of vaccines, uh, rather than on the protection I'm very exercised of the Australian about that as well. But it just struck me as odd seeing a party... And I'd ask the same question about uh, the Labor governments. A party political logo attached to an Australian government announcement. No, with great respect, this was a tile uh, which acknowledged that which had already been acknowledged entirely within the rules, entirely appropriately, uh, and acknowledging that we come from that. But I, I, I win the bet uh, with my office. Uh, that oh, who cares? Really? You win the bet, do you? Anyway, uh, I, uh, I felt a little sorry for Michael yesterday. Uh, when he said he was offended, I agree with him. Um, uh, of course. He doesn't identify with the left. That's, a, a, a again, a slogan made up by those within the LNP and the Murdoch press to try and divide and conquer us. His job as an ABC journalist is to hold all sides of politics to account, as he was yesterday morning. And anything that suggests otherwise, to be honest, is just playing politics with the pandemic. Didn't we have uh, the Prime Minister saying that he didn't like having COVID-19 politicised? All right, well, if that's the case, ScoMo, then why the heck are we allowing liberal paraphernalia all over releases to do with the COVID-19 vaccine? Seems very political to me. And Michael Rowland is correct. Of course. It's official government advice, official government uh, announcements, 
and it should carry the official government insignia and not Liberal Party slogans or logos or marketing or promotions. Maybe it's no surprise. The Prime Minister's a marketer. All about slogans. 14 to 6. Marcus, I still love you. Thank you. Um, I just want to talk about Glocan. Mm. Now, he went into that interview totally prepared, he says, for that question. Yeah. And yet all he could do was get all anal about his roots. Excuse the choice of words. Well, I probably would have put it a little differently. Yeah, but yeah. About his roots. You know, I'm, well, I'm not a lefty. I personally am not a lefty. And as a taxpayer, I want to know why. Um, the the liberal logo, the party logo, was on that is on that ad, and is that the best answer? I mean, he's got to be ready to answer the question, regardless of any affiliation. Uh, he's got to have a bit more respect for the taxpayers and answer questions from uh, the reporters. Well, I agree entirely. Um, Look, uh, here again was a little bit of a testy exchange. When you announced the very welcome 10 million additional doses of Pfizer on your social media channels last week, why did you feel the need to attach a Liberal Party logo to an Australian government announcement? Well, in fact, we made the Australian government announcement as the government um, with the Prime Minister. Mm. But, but I'm I was asking elected. about why the Michael, Liberal Party logo was there. I know you have strong views. I, I've not have, no, I've just, I just, respect, I'm I will asking answer, why. I'll finish, I'll finish if you let me. Uh, because we predicted that you seem to be the most exercised of any person in the Australian media about that. Yeah, see, it's nothing but obfuscation and trying to distract away from what the real issue was. And it was a perfectly, um, perfectly reasonable question for the host to ask of the health minister. And that is, why are you using liberal marketing on official Australian documents. James says, typical right, get a hard question that they know they stuffed up on and then they cry victim of left bias. What's next? Calling the vaccine the LMP bug stopper program like job keeper and job seeker. Scotty from advertising added again. So what are we going to call it there, James? Bug stopper. Coming soon after job keeper and job seeker finish. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, great to have your company on this Thursday. It is the 11th day of February. And by the way, we've been back a month. One month we've been back. And uh, Justin Scruff and I were going through a couple of our uh, social media stats this morning. It seems that thanks to all of our followers, hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning, where our reach is getting stronger and stronger. I think we reached 558,000 people with our content online uh, so far this well this year since we've been back on the 11th day of January. It's now the 11th of February, so we want to thank all of our supporters and everyone who contributes to not only the on-air program, but also what we do online on uh, at Marcus Paul in the Morning, in particular on Facebook. Look, a tsunami warning has been issued for Lord Howe Island following a 7.6 magnitude earthquake near New Caledonia. A tsunami marine warning means there is the possibility for dangerous rips, waves and strong ocean currents and some localised impact on immediate foreshores. The Joint Australian Tsunami Warning, warning Centre 
is advising people on Lord Howe Island to stay away from the island's beaches and the immediate water edge. At this stage, no evacuations are required at Lord Howe Island and no impact is expected for the Australian mainland. Some tsunami waves of around 40 centimetres have been observed at islands in the Pacific Ocean. This includes tsunami wave heights of 41 centimetres on Norfolk Island and 35 centimetres at Vanuatu. Uh, Also apparently on the Gold Coast. A marine tsunami warning is issued when a tsunami wave height is more than 40 centimetres. The earthquake occurred just after midnight in an area southeast of Loyalty Islands in the Pacific Ocean. Anthony Albanese will be our main guest on the program this morning after 8.30. Albo's been very busy, of course, yesterday. He announced uh, some policy on industrial relations in particular. So we'll get through some of the nuts and bolts of that with Albo on the program after 8.30 this morning. Well, they're taking us for mugs, as usual. It is kind of hard to escape the conclusion that the Australian people are being actively groomed by conservative politicians to accept dismiss, overlook or ignore their unethical activities. In fact, corruption scandals involving conservative Australian politicians are so plentiful and out in the open these days that many coalition MPs don't even bother to deny them. Take the comments of New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barillaro, also known as Pork Barillaro, this week in Parliament. At the inquiry into the allocation of bushfire fund relief, Mr Barillaro professed outrage that buying votes using taxpayers' money had somehow gotten a bad name. I'm sick to the death. I'm sick to death of the mistruths spun about pork barrelling. Every single election that every party goes to, we make commitments. You want to call that pork barrelling? You want to call that buying votes? It's what the elections are for. The Deputy New South Wales Premier told the committee he was proud to buy votes using public money. It's a name that I've never distanced myself from because I'm actually proud of what it represents. What we call pork barrelling is investments. I dare you to turn up to these communities and tell them why they don't deserve these projects. Look, in one way, Bruz is right... Most people would welcome receiving more money for their communities. However, when such grants are legislated to be merit-based, officials interfering to award them to projects judged to be less worthy is prima facie criminal behaviour. Perhaps if the New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption had not been hobbled by the previous Baird Coalition government back in 2015 because too many Liberal MPs were losing their jobs after appearing in front of it, John Barillaro might be less forthcoming about porking coalition electorates. Nonetheless, by lauding the New South Wales government's targeted slush fund strategy, Porky was only following the lead of his boss, Premier Gladys Berejiklian, the same boss who has constantly been embroiled in scandals since gaining office, including conducting a, a clandestine affair with an MP she just sent to the crossbenches for alleged corruption. Berejiklian spoke in similar terms to Porky Barillaro on November 26 last year, after it was revealed that prior to the New South Wales election, a $252 million Stronger Communities Fund had gone overwhelmingly to coalition-held seats and only coalition MPs had been consulted. Berejiklian admitted her government had misused public funds but she said it was okay because, well, everybody did it. 
It's not something the community likes, but it's an accusation I will wear. It's not unique to our government. It's not an illegal practice at the Premier. Unfortunately, it does happen from time to time by every government. Now, these sorts of defences by the Premier and the Deputy Premier of New South Wales do make you wonder, do they not, why Gladys Berejiklian's office went to all the trouble of shredding and deleting all of their documents relating to the fund. Whether all governments do conduct themselves in this way is, is of course, open to conjecture, although, of course, corruption is not unique to any side of politics. Indeed, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has described New South Wales as providing the gold standard in Australian governments. And in line with the new New South Wales standard, under the Morrison government, pork barrelling and other forms of corruption have grown at a steady rate. One proportional to the decline in ministerial accountability. Because despite the government enduring a host of grubby scandals, far too numerous to list here, none are ever corrupt enough to be sacked by Morrison. Indeed, several corrupt ministers sacked under previous leaders, such as Stuart Robert and Susan Lee, have even regained front bench portfolios under the free and easy reign of ScoMo. Under Morrison, when ministers are asked about awkward questions, they invariably reject the premise of that question or call it quote-unquote fake news, conjecture or quote-unquote a Canberra bubble question before abruptly ending the press conference and scurrying away smirking. Federal Health Minister Greg Hunts has long taken pride in his skill in deflecting questions about ministerial accountability. For instance, when the sports rort scandal was in full swing last year, a video emerging of him being thanked by a yacht club in his electorate for working behind the scenes to secure them a grant. Hunt badly denied, boldly rather, denied his actions were in any way improper. And when the interviewer attempted to follow up the question, Hunt simply spoke over him and filibustered for two or three minutes until the ABC had to end the interview. Perhaps emboldened by the Porky and Goldie in New South Wales, this, uh, yesterday morning on ABC News Breakfast, in an interview with presenter Michael Rowland, Hunt took his brazen disregard for democratic process to an entirely new level. When Michael Rowland asked Mr Hunt why he had placed a Liberal Party logo on an announcement that the Australian government had secured 10 million new doses of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, he displayed enviable schutzpa. First, the Health Minister denied that he'd done anything wrong by sticking the Liberal logo on a government announcement. He said, and I quote, that I'm a very proud member of that party with a great heritage and tradition in Australia. That's part of the Australian democratic process. There's no problem with identifying entirely appropriately within the rules. The origins and heritage of that banner under which we were elected by the Australian people. So said Mr Hunt. Then after the interviewer asked again and pushed whether the Liberal Party had paid for the vaccines, Mr Hunt then had the audacity to spend the rest of the interview accusing Michael Rowland, the interviewer, of bias. He basically called him a lefty and said that, you know, he was playing politics with the issue. Really? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. What about integrity in politics? Is there any left? I'm not quite sure. If you want to have your say, 13 12 69, the telephone number.
all the news and views. Don't leave me into your rubbish, right? Don't you keep taking us on, on flights of fancy. Your, your, your city lily pad lefty map mindset, right? So I'm not going to answer your questions because they insult us as a race of people. Breakfast with Marcus Paul. Alrighty, uh, what do you think of murals? Uh, you know, the one that was unveiled uh, of, of former um, Rural Fire Service Commissioner Shane Fitzsimmons at Erskineville. Look, a day after it was unveiled on World Graffiti Removal Day, it was then graffitied over. I shouldn't laugh. I really shouldn't. But I agree with Mark Latham on this. Uh, perhaps rather than a mural at a known graffiti spot, maybe a, uh, I don't know, uh, display on the Sydney Opera House or something similar might have been a better proposal because now a pair of security guards have been stationed to protect this mural of Fire Chief Shane Fitzsimmons at a cost of around $1,200 a day, the sort of protection worthy of Da Vinci's masterpieces. I don't know. I, I, look, I applaud and, uh, of course, I respect, and we should be commemorating Shane Fitzsimmons, Absolutely. But I wonder whether a mural is worth it. I don't know. I despise graffiti. I hate those ugly tags. I love murals. The problem is, unfortunately, there are scumbags out there that just love their spray paint that will spray paint over anything. And they destroy the uh, uh, whether it's a mural or the side of a building. Look, a lot, a lot of the sides of buildings are quite unsightly and ugly, particularly along the rail corridor where... Obviously, most of the graffiti happens. I've never understood graffiti. I've never really accepted it. Uh, And apparently, street art reduces the instance of graffiti. But still, uh, Mark Latham said, the decision to honour Mr Fitzsimmons with a mural on a day that could make it a target for vandals was naive. Uh, He says that lights on the opera house or sales or artwork in a gallery would have been more fitting. Um, anyway, what do you think? Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine to have you say. Mark's on the open line. Hello, Mark. Hello, Marcus. How are you, buddy? This, this thing with um, Greg Hunt with the Liberal Party logo. Yeah. This would be under supervision of Scott Morrison. You know, like this reeks of marketing. Oh yes. Marketing Morrison, like everything now is just marketing. I, I'm really over Scott Morrison with a lot of stuff now. I, I just think he never... What about that classic thing with John Laws? He wouldn't answer the question. Well, the that was... Day. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, and Lawsy, to his credit, called him out and, and yeah. said, you're very good at it. You're very, very good at this, uh, Mr Morrison. And, I mean, ScoMo tried to basically obfuscate by saying, oh, that was last week's news. We've moved on. And John oh, said yeah, very well, clearly, yeah, no, yeah, we right. haven't. Well, I haven't. <laughs> the, the thing is, like, he goes on TGB and I think the Liberal Party's got... Get, he's on there more than other, the announcers there now. Gladys is on there about 11 hours a day now. And then you got those pathetic fools <laughs> on Sky don't, News. I don't think so, but yes. <laughs> but um, uh, everything's... And, and what's his name? Peter... Who's that, Trisha? We had... Uh, Peter Costello. Yeah, he, he runs Cell 9 now. Yeah, well... So you've got 9, 2GV, Sky News. They just hammer the Liberal Party thing 
24-7. Well, thank goodness, uh, you know, there's other alternatives out there, Mark, and well, we're least, trying our best. Different, different opinions on different people, like a few of them I can't stand, so I just changed the station, but... <laughs> Especially that little fool, that Malcolm Roberts. He's just a prize nit with that guy. Well, oh, come on, mate. Come on. I, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to allow you to well, constantly bag out my uh, my contributors. I Look said again. To give different views. Yeah, well, that's the whole idea. I don't agree yeah. with. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of what Malcolm Roberts says on this program, and I call him out for it. I mean, I Good. I even got a bottle of wine off the bloke. Yeah, that's bribery, little weasel. <laughs> Bye, Mark. 13, 12, 69. That bottle of wine, by the way, I re-gifted because I don't drink. And uh, look, at the end of the day, uh, Malcolm did lose uh, the bet. He believed Trump would romp it in. Didn't happen. Speaking of Donald Trump, I've uh, consciously avoided all that circus that's going on in the United States of America. Uh, I don't know why they just can't get on with things. They've got far more... Uh, important issues at hand, like dealing with the pandemic, haven't they? Surely, than you know, chasing up a bloke who's now a, an American citizen. Look, I understand uh, Republicans, all the rest. Look, they don't want Donald Trump to be able to stand again. That's why, you know, this impeachment thing's going ahead. But it's a, <laughs> it's not going to work. He will not again be impeached. They don't have the numbers, and in my opinion, it's just a bloody waste of money and a waste of time. Which is disappointing. I was disappointed when I heard that, um, you know, Joe Biden and it's probably not so much Joe. It's probably those behind the scenes that have continued to agitate to impeach Donald Trump yet again and all the rest of it. It's not going to work. They don't have the numbers. And again, I think they have far more important issues to deal with. And that is the COVID-19 pandemic. Chris, are you there? Um, Yeah, mate. Hello, mate. Um, Look, I'm not sure if I heard it right. I think I heard on the news that the inquiry into um, the coal corruption with Eddie O'Bead came to some kind of conclusion yesterday or very recently, and they stated there wasn't enough ed- evidence of corruption. Yeah, to... there was such a, uh, well, <laughs> to use the judge's word, paucity of facts, P-A-U-C-I-T-Y. I mean, that's legalese, I guess, but there was such a paucity of facts in the Crown case against former politician Eddie Obeid that the judge could not be satisfied of his guilt. His barrister, April Francis, said during a closing submissions to the New South Wales Supreme Court. Uh, really? I don't know, mate. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be a little careful. It's all before the court. Yeah, 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 I know, but it's um, almost laughable. I, um... That interview where, where they were calling the interviewer lefty. Oh, yes, yep, yep, yep. The, the person being interviewed, mm. and I'm, I was a bit surprised no reporters picked up on it. He said, we discussed how he was the most left interviewer. Oh, well, I'm not surprised by that, uh, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, Hunt and his office or Hunt and his fellow LNP. Dis- yeah. Who was he discussing it with? Who's the we? Well, I think it's his office uh, while he was being briefed. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, and that's the way it works, mate. That's I know that, but it's just a, it's a shame somebody didn't say, oh, well, who's the we? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, the we would have been uh, Mr Hunt's staffers, uh, those within uh, his close circle, and he's got plenty of staffers. He is, after all, the Federal Health Minister, and I imagine it would be uh, probably his media team that have said to him, oh, 
Greg, just be a little careful. It's Michael Rowland. It's a bit of a lefty. He might push you uh, hard on the issue of the Liberal Party logo being on, you know, our vaccine uh, propaganda. No, not propaganda. Our vaccine material, <laughs> which really, again, should include the news uh, the Australian government um, paraphernalia rather than the Liberal Party logo. Quite clearly. I think it's him. I mean, even though Greg Hunt did say that, oh, you know, he hasn't crossed a line. Come on, Greg. If I went down to the local pub and asked a half a dozen people whether you'd cross the line, I'm pretty sure most of them, probably four out of five, would say you absolutely have. That's what I mean. Sometimes they take us for mugs. Absolutely take us for mugs. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, we're going to go to the news in just a couple of moments. 13 12 69, the telephone number if you would like to have your say. And if you want to send me an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com at around about 28 minutes after six. A little music to take us to the news. All the news and views. I have always believed in miracles. Breakfast with Marcus Paul. All right, welcome back. Hello, if you're just joining us for the first time this morning, good morning to our listeners up there on the mid-north coast. 2HC Coffs Harbour, 6.39am, great to have your company. Uh, Also, uh, to our friends at FM 93.5 and Radio 531 at Port Macquarie. Uh, Thanks to 40 Winks Port Macquarie, by the way, too, for joining our Marcus Paul in the Morning family. Uh, And thank you for your sponsorship of our program up there. We appreciate it. 2LE Orange in the Central West and those listeners in Bathurst as well. Great to know you there this morning. And, of course, uh, where the show is broadcast from... 2SM in Sydney out of the late great Greg Goldman studio for our listeners on 2SM Digital and uh, 12.69am and for everybody listening online, by the way, I think the 2SM listening app is back up and working almost at capacity. We're still doing a little work on it, I'm told, by Scruff and uh, and also the Commander-in-Chief, but it's getting better day by day and we're told by next week it'll be up... 100% 100% fully operational. Okay. 13, 12, 69 to have you say. Well, the ANZ Bank has pulled out of funding the Port of Newcastle in what is being interpreted as a significant rebuke of the coal industry and its exposure, if you like, to climate risk. The story is that the ANZ, one of the big four banks, has abandoned Newcastle, the world's largest coal export port, under a new climate change policy that almost bans lending to the coal sector. We know that the port up there in Newcastle is the largest thermal coal terminal in the world. Last year, it exported 160 million tonnes and accounted for 99.2% of its exports by volume. The ANZ Bank was previously a major lender to the port as a part of its $950 million debt pile, but in November the port refinanced and ANZ took the opportunity to divest. It's understood the bank deemed the port, quote-unquote, too risky an investment, which could end up a stranded asset in a world that is quickly shifting away from coal. Now, some critics say that it's the bank virtue signalling 
I don't know, though. I mean, the bank has – the bank's a business. It can run at its own pace and decide what it wants to do. Surely there'll be other lenders available, but I know there are concerns up there over this. And Stuart Bonds from One Nation is one of those expressing concerns. He's with us on the program. Stuart, hello, mate. Hey, how are you, Marcus? Look, I'm really well. Last year, um, the ANZ Bank also announced an ambitious net zero emissions action plan, which adopted the issue of climate change as a condition of lending. Um, I don't know, are they doing themselves a disservice here, do you think? Well, I think that they've got a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders uh, to invest the money to make money, Marcus. And I I don't think that they've got, uh, their part of their fiduciary responsibility is climate change or to make climate policy. So I think that asset up there at Newcastle um, was just a wasted opportunity for the bank and the shareholders. And luckily the NAB's jumped in to fund it. Yeah. And we won't run a real risk of uh, overseas banks coming in and buying up or funding these assets. And essentially, if you fund the asset, you own the asset till it's paid off. Yes, exactly. Uh, you're right. Other investors, including the National Australia Bank, have continued to underwrite the port to assist in its diversification. But, I mean, apparently the ANZ are concerned that the New South Wales government has implemented laws that would restrict container traffic through Newcastle for 50 years. So that's also where they're coming from. I don't know why, why they're whacking on this climate change banner on it. If they're concerned about the viability of the port because of government legislation, I, I, I could at least understand that. Oh, that's not... Look, Marcus, I know that the uh, there's going to be troubles getting a container port built there because of the monopoly with the, uh, you know, Port Kembla port, and they have a, you know, the port at Newcastle would have to pay them a uh, million dollars, I think, per ship, it works out, to unload containers there. But the current port, the way that it is, is mm. making money, and when you go out and talk to these mining operations, they plan on uh, offloading coal there for the next 50 years. You know, it puts out 150 million tonnes a year, year in, year out. Mate, it's making good money as it stands. At all. There's wheat sent out of there. There's all sorts of farming products sent out of well, there as well. Well, that's right. I mean, it's not just coal, is it? Even though it is, one of, obviously, uh, one of, if not the biggest coal container terminals in the world, coal isn't its I mean, they're diversifying. Coal is not only uh, what is shipped out of the port of Newcastle. As you mentioned, there are other... Um, uh, there's wheat, there's barley, there's grain, there's a whole range of commodities. Uh, there's plans to expand that too. And, and if we're going to uh, expand the population of the country, the reports are 40 million people by 2050. Now, if that happens, we need to expand our capacity, our ports and airports, and uh, part of that is getting funding. And if there's no money coming, if you get rid of the coal out of that terminal, it's essentially worthless. Well, I mean, it's its biggest exporter. It's its biggest earner, obviously. 90, 92%. Well, there you, you go. go. Back, you go down to a tiny, tiny fraction hmm. of, uh, of what it potentially can do. And look, I think it's obvious that the port itself, I mean, they've openly acknowledged the need to, di- the need to diversify, uh, but their push to develop a container terminal for general cargo has been hampered, of course, by the New South Wales government. And you've outlined that why. I mean, basically, there's a monopoly, if you like, Port Botany or Port Kembla as well. Uh, I mean, these laws will restrict any container traffic through Newcastle for the next five decades. So <laughs> the port of Newcastle, 
needs to continue trading. And to be honest, if we have, I think, um, uh, banks, one of the big four banks here in Australia, that aren't showing, uh, I guess, any confidence in funding over, well, going forward, then that is a worry. Oh, it is concerning. But we've also got the superannuation companies that are moving into this space as well, which is another concerning thing because here we're forced to put what will be 12% of our super eventually into these superannuation accounts that are now being moved away from uh, industries that are supporting tens of thousands of jobs. For, they're making policy decisions, and they're not put there to make policy decisions about this stuff. They are put there to invest money in money-making projects. And if you've got mining operations and gas operations saying that they can make um, tens or hundreds or sometimes billions of dollars of Australian jobs, why wouldn't you invest in it? you just get good. the Saudis or Kuwait or someone mm. else will come in, and as I said, they'll own the project. True, mate. All right, Stuart, always good to have you on the program. Thank you. No, thank you very much, Marcus. Take it easy. My pleasure. There he is, One Nation, Stuart Bond. All right, some restrictions will be eased in Greater Sydney from tomorrow after the state recorded its 24th day with no locally acquired cases. Masks will be mandatory only on public transport, and so they should be but are still recommended indoors when you can't socially distance. Businesses will revert to the two-square-metre rule, both indoors and outdoors, although gyms must still use the four-square-metre rule. Uh, The Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, said the moves would boost the state's economy by an extra $300 million a month. Now, the Premier also said the traveller who tested positive Two days after leaving quarantine in Sydney, most likely contracted the virus overseas rather than in the hotel. But Victoria, unfortunately, has been less fortunate, where the outbreak linked to the Melbourne Airport Holiday Inn grew to eight after another quarantine worker and former guest tested positive. In light of this, health experts there demanded quarantine workers get personal protective equipment on par with staff in high-risk hospital wards. And they've questioned why lessons had not been learnt from the deadly second wave. I mean, hotel quarantine, we've got to get it right. We have to get this right, no matter what state or what territory here in Australia. Hotel quarantine is set to remain a fixture of travel for years to come. As public health experts said, it could take around six years to vaccinate enough of the world's population, around 75%, to prevent protection against COVID-19. There we go. So we've got to get it right. We have to get it right. Thirteen twelve sixty nine, the telephone number, if you would like to have your say, Marcus Paul, in the morning. What's going on with uh, Nick Kyrgios? It took more than three hours of nail-biting tennis across five sets and two save match points, but Nick Kyrgios is through to the third round of the Australian Open. He beats France's Hugo Umbert but he'll now face third seed and reigning US champion Dominic Thiem of Austria tomorrow. Uh, but again, it was behaviour by Nick <laughs> that's, you know, threatened to overshadow the game itself. Seems every match that he plays, uh, Nick is again displaying an attitude of complete and utter, well, almost arrogance. 
and uh, well, certainly. He's got a, a set to against either the umpires or the technology that's being used in tournaments. Uh, Kyrgios grew frustrated with the automated let-calling technology, requesting more than once that it be turned off. His compatriot, Bernard Tomic, blew up at tennis legend John Fitzgerald after his loss, labelling him the worst commentator I've seen in my life, after Fitzgerald questioned whether Tomic could return next year. Look, I don't know. Certainly Nick Kyrgios is levels above Bernard Tomic. And I have to say, even though I'm you know, a patriot at heart and I love seeing our Australian tennis players do well, Bernard, it's time to give it up, mate. It's time to give it up. I just don't think he has the mental capacity to continue to make it and create an impact. What is he in the top 400 now or something? He's dropped, dropped and dropped. So I think Bernard Tomic is a lesson in wasted talent, in my opinion. And Nick Kyrgios, unless he starts behaving himself, well, he could be very well heading down that exact same path. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning. It's 10 to 7 now. All the news and views. So together and with the rest of the world, we face this unprecedented challenge. For many young and old, 2020 will be the toughest year of our lives. Breakfast with Marcus Paul. Maybe we need to drop that one and update. Uh, 2020 was one of the toughest years of our lives. It's nothing to laugh about. We're off to the news very soon at 7 o'clock. Aged care nurses and supporters will gather today outside member for McMahon Chris Bowen's office in southwestern Sydney to send a message to Canberra. I'll tell you what it is soon. Right now, time to feel good. Feel good. A New South Wales council twice unsuccessfully sought government funding for a regional skydiving and adventure sports facility before it was eventually awarded $11 million from a bushfire economic relief fund. The funding for the Maclay Valley Skydiving Adventure Park was announced by the New South Wales Nationals back in October last year under a fast-tracked $177 million state and federal bushfire local economic recovery fund, which of course is now at the centre of an inquiry into government rorts. Sorry, grants. Months before the state's bushfires, the Council released the Maclay Valley Coast Destination Plan in July 2019, which identified the Adventure Park as a quote-unquote game-changer project and outlined a plan to leverage the New South Wales government's support for adventure sports tourism. The Council in December applied for the Federal Government's Better Building Regions Fund grant program, which was rejected in May 2020, having having fallen short of co-contribution criteria. Now, new allegations of pork barrelling over a $177 million bushfire relief fund continue. (laughs) But look, this story goes on. In July 2019, the Council also submitted a grant application to the New South Wales Government's Growing Locals Economy Fund, which was subsequently suspended, while the $11 million in funding from the third application was announced late October. The Council has still not received the money. The Adventure Park isn't expected to be open before mid next year. Opposition MP and committee member Courtney Hussos 
said the New South Wales government needed to explain why the Kempsey Shire Council was awarded millions in economic fire relief for a project designed before the bushfires. It's a bloody good question. Absolutely it's a good question. Anyway, uh, the story goes on, and uh, if you want to read the full article, it's in today's Sydney Morning Herald. Okay, we're off to the news at 7 o'clock. Now, after the news, aged care nurses and supporters are set to gather today outside Chris Bowen's office in southwestern Sydney to send a message to Canberra. What will that message be? We'll let you know when we have a chat uh, to uh, the aged care lead organiser from the Midwiveries Association. Let's have a listen to Marcus in the morning. I heard that Albo, even at Marrickville, is also feeling the cold. He's very, very busy collecting fuel for his fire. I can see him out the back right now. His Marrickville pad. There he is, stacking the branches. This is unbelievable. (laughs) I didn't realise. So we're not even that good. Breakfast with Marcus Ball has Australia talking. Uh, what about yesterday? Oh, by the way, good morning. Welcome back to the program on this Thursday. It is great to have your company. 131269, our telephone number. And emails, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Now, yesterday, I missed him. I'd left. I'd left the office. And Kyle wandered in and jumped on air with the king. Dueling golden microphones. And the best part about it was that Emmanuel... One of our regular trolls that rings the 2SM Super Radio Network thought he'd ring up and have a crack at both John and Kyle. (laughs) Best roasting I've heard for quite some time. Uh, And Emmanuel even let one uh, nasty F word go. It was great radio. And thank you to so many people across the, uh, well, uh, not only regular listeners, I guess, to to my program and John's program, but uh, the podcast of the chat between these two radio giants yesterday went up late yesterday. Well done, Justin, on getting all of that organised and I think it nearly melted our server. Lots of people downloaded and listened to uh, what was, by all accounts, some really good radio. I'm going to replay a little bit of that this morning. I'll, I'll play the Emmanuel call. It was brilliant, really good. Okay, police have changed, uh, charged a man with multiple offences after seizing $30,000 in cash, designer handbags and two luxury cars. Well done to New South Wales Police. They nabbed this 56-year-old who was stopped by officers in Homebush in the, in the West yesterday after executing a search warrant at a home in Greenacre and a fruit market in Lepping in Flemington. Three other people have previously been charged in connection with the alleged large-scale supply of prohibited drugs. $30,000 cash, designer handbags, two luxury cars. Some great work done by New South Wales Police in cracking down, in, cracking down on organised crime in Sydney.
Now, with the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety due to be handing down its final report by February 26th, I thought we'd touch on the issue today. Members of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association are calling on the Morrison government and all political parties to act. Aged care nurses and supporters will today gather outside member for McMahon Chris Bowen's office in southwestern Sydney to send a clear message to Canberra. Over the coming weeks, aged care nurses from Broken Hill to the Blue Mountains, Byron Bay to Albury, will highlight the need for staffing ratios and greater transparency of government funding. Now, the New South Wales Midwives Association says the current Morrison government cannot continue to stall on its responsibility to urgently fix the aged care sector. Joining us on the line is Shirley Lee, aged care lead organiser at the Midwives Association of New South Wales. Uh, Good morning to you, Shirley. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good morning, Marcus. Why uh, the gathering today outside Chris Bowen's office? Well, the gathering today is to highlight the fact that the Royal Commission is um, handing down their recommendations on the 26th. Um, That's the first reason why they're gathering. The second one, very importantly, is that we, um, our nurses are raising um, public awareness because aged care has suffered from chronic and widespread understaffing over many years, you know, and the lack of transparency in how government funding is spent. So um, they need legal minimum staffing and right mix of skills, transparency and accountability for government funding, mandatory ongoing skills development paid for by the employer, including infection control and ongoing professional development, as we know what's happened through COVID, um, and government funding that's linked to direct care and staff wages. Yeah, look, I think uh, it's very clear the aged care sector is, for want of a better word, sick, Shirley, and changes need to be made and they need to, pressure needs to be brought from, uh, I guess, all sides of the political spectrum. This is uh, above and beyond politics now. It's gotten to a stage where, you know, we were very clearly shown during the initial stages of COVID-19 that we weren't prepared to deal with the outbreak and uh, we've covered many stories on this program of course uh, Newmarch House out there in Penrith uh, was the one we highlighted with a number of family members who'd lost loved ones and they Mm. were you know they were pulling their hair out they couldn't quite understand what was going on the transparency wasn't there and you know we need to fix this as soon as possible we sure do Um, I think we as Australians owe it to our elderly people that just because they're old uh, doesn't mean that they're second-class citizens, and they they deserve the best that we can give them because they've given us their best, and we should give them a class, um, uh, you know, first-class care. So, as you know, you um, commented on the on the COVID nineteen. Yeah. Uh, Six hundred and eighty-five Australian families lost loved ones oh, um, in a nursing home, and throughout COVID. The other shameful thing that happened, mm. 64% of the ANMF members that were surveyed, yep. they reported staff cuts and nursing and, our, and care hour reductions in some nursing homes. That's during the, the COVID, during pandemic, this was happening. And throughout, during the, um, the Royal Commission, there were also cuts in, in nursing home hours, you know. They were re- 
reducing nursing hours, care hours, right across the board. So, you know, I mean, what can I say? <laughs> well, you've got to keep fighting it, and yet you need to get your members uh, to stand up and make as much noise as possible. This is all about uh, garnering people power to put pressure on our uh, legislators who we elect. We elect them in the hope that they'll do the best uh, by all Australians, and that includes some of the most vulnerable, uh, and they are in aged care homes. Absolutely. You've absolutely said that. And so, you know, if you're listening out there and you have an, a loved one in aged care, or you even work in aged care, even if you're you know, not in aged care yet, know yeah. that there is the, the sector is in trouble, big trouble, because we've got... Lots of big corporations that are coming in and um, running the sector, but there's no direct funding. Like the government funding is not directly linked to the staffing and there's no transparency right now. So that's what we're fighting for. All right, well, over the coming weeks, aged care nurses from Broken Hill to the Blue Mountains, Byron Bay to Albury, will highlight the need for staffing ratios, in particular in New South Wales, and greater transparency of government funding. Good luck with it all. You know you, you have our support here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your support. And, you know, I'm just reiterating the invitation to all those out there, wherever you are, yep. if you're here, any events that you can attend, please come along and support your elderly people by supporting the nurses. All right, well said. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you so much, Marcus. My pleasure. Shirley Lee, aged care lead organiser at the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association. Now, for our listeners in the uh, central west of New South Wales, the extent of the housing shortage in Orange was clearly shown this week with only 126 properties available for sale across the entire city yesterday morning. Local real estate agents say the shortages were as tight as they've ever been. It's a very, very low number, said said, uh, the Fitzgerald Estate Agent Director, Josh Fitzgerald. Now, in 20... To give a a comparison, back in 2015, over 1,000 properties were for sale... Now, they're talking at as low as 126. And there is apparently a high appetite for property in Orange. Now, Mr Fitzgerald said demand was exceeding supply with a lack of housing and land for new developments. He says the situation will likely lead to a rise in house prices. And that's not what we need in regional and rural New South Wales. Now, they say that while some homeowners would be keen to cash in on the market boom, they were also faced with the dilemma of finding somewhere else to live. The next move, according to real estate agents, becomes very difficult. The demand for property is across price ranges, including for more than $1 million. And the real estate sector in Central West say owners who had sold homes for big prices in Orange had taken a variety of new paths. A lot of them have moved away. One group went to New Zealand. Some of them have gone up the coast. But others had looked to downsize to a smaller property, while others had needed to move into larger premises. Sales over the $1 million mark in Orange have included a property at 9 Sale Street, which sold for $1.56 million. That makes it the fifth highest price for a home near the centre of Orange, according to the Central Western Daily's records. This week, a property at Kite Street also sold for more than $1 million. So there we go. 
uh, housing issues in the central west of New South Wales. If you're listening to the program, uh, as a lot of people do via 2EL Orange and in Bathurst in the central west, please feel free to give us a call and have your two cents worth on that, 131269. All right, for Port Macquarie listeners this morning, you're all invited to take part in a silent walk as a part of a campaign for a change in aged care. Walkers are encouraged to speak with a placard during the walk to shine the spotlight on the need for aged care policy reform. This is happening on February the 20th. This walk supporting a New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association campaign. And of course, we just spoke to Shirley from the association just a few moments ago. They're calling for legal minimum staffing and a mix of skills, transparency and accountability for government funding, as we've heard. Mandatory ongoing skills development paid for by the employer and more important government funding linked to direct care and staff wages. Now, a Port Macquarie aged care worker said the walk would raise community awareness and support to drive change in the aged care sector. So there we go. This walk comes ahead of the release of the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety's final report. And we'll be talking about this at length when it comes out. You can believe that on the 26th of this month. Okay, the Royal Commission will provide its final report on the 26th of February. And of course, it'll look at the quality of residential and in-home aged care across Australia. Now, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association basically say that our aged care system has been ignored by governments for far too long. The Royal Commission has proven how desperate the situation in aged care is. Regardless of the outcome, the government can't ignore the need for better staffing and greater transparency about the funding. Marcus Paul in the morning. I'd love to hear from you. 13 12 69 is our telephone number. Malcolm Roberts on the program soon. And after 8 o'clock this morning, Anthony Albanese.
the Temptations. My girl, Marcus Paul, in the morning, 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have your say. I wish I'd asked uh, Malcolm Roberts, uh, not Malcolm, uh, Stuart Bonds about this when he was on the program, but I, I missed it. We were talking about the ANZ Bank pulling out uh, of funding future coal projects in Newcastle, up there in the Hunter Newcastle port, of course, one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, exporters of thermal coal in the world. Uh, it's a story out today. Look, we, we do have uh, Malcolm Roberts on the program very soon. Maybe I'll speak to Malcolm about it. New research has found that our coal-fired power stations are routinely breaching their license conditions, putting our community's health and the environment at risk. Now, I know Malcolm, when he comes on the program, has a plethora of talking points and he'll try and, you know, stick to those, but I'm going to try and stick it to him this morning. Uh, he's a very strong supporter of coal, which a lot of people are. I understand the industry uh, is vitally important to our economic well-being, etc. Uh, but if we are going to rely on thermal coal, coal-fired power stations, etc., well... <laughs> and we're concerned, as we all are, about our environmental future, then surely we need to ensure that our coal-fired power stations don't breach their licence conditions. The newly released Coal Impacts Index reveals there have been more than 150 publicly reported environmental breaches since 2015. But the spokesperson for the Australia Beyond Coal campaign, David Ritter, says only a fraction of these, 16 of them, have resulted in penalties or enforceable undertakings. Well, that's not good enough, surely. Anyway, Malcolm, uh, beyond the program in a couple of moments, I'll ask him his thoughts on that. He'll, uh, we'll see how we go. I like picking a fight with Malcolm Roberts. It's fun. <laughs> A man devastated by the closure of ski resorts in France has skied down a steep street in Paris. <laughs> Idiot. He fell repeatedly and hit several trees. But he says that it's the next best thing when the resorts aren't open. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui. <laughs> what a story. He was devastated by the closure of ski resorts in France. So what did he do? Finds the steepest street in Paris. Gay Paris. <laughs> decides to ski down it, hitting several trees along the way down. Oh, well. Okay, 13, 12, 69, news next. All right, 21 minutes away from eight, a couple of emails. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Dino in Casino, uh, listening to us online. Yes, the app is back up. Uh, It's not on 100% yet, but uh, it'll be so next week. But thank you, Dino, for letting us know you're getting us loud and clear online. 2smsupernetwork.com up there in Casino, and I appreciate uh, your emails. Uh, a couple of notes coming through, too, on the text. 0458-049-209. Pete from Lithgow is one of our listeners in that neck of the woods. Uh, he, You know, around the central tablelands. G'day, Marcus. Regarding graffiti, of course I hate it, and it's illegal, at least back to the 1970s. Graffiti was more clever with political statements and people venting their spleen. <laughs> By the way, how about you please include Lithgow in your weather forecasts? 
Well, I, I can't do it in all of them, but for you, mate, um, we can tell you today, Lithgow will be fine. 26 degrees, right now 13. There we go, Pete, and thank you very much for your email. I appreciate it. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. Now let's do this. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, Senator Malcolm Roberts. Malcolm, good morning, mate. Good morning, Marcus. How are you? I'm okay. I'm very well. Listen, I just wanted to ask you first off the bat a question without notice because I know you're very good on your feet. <laughs> New research has found Australia's coal-fired power stations are routinely breaching their licence conditions, putting our community's health and the environment at risk. The newly released Coal Impacts Index reveals there have been more than 150 publicly reported environmental breaches since 2015. However, the spokesperson for Australia Beyond Coal, David Ritter, says only a fraction of these 16 have resulted in penalties or enforceable undertakings. Now, if coal's to be a part of our uh, reliable energy future, we need to clean up our backyard, I think. Well, if, if that, that's true, then certainly we need to. No one should be exempt from those regulations, Marcus. The, the environment is very important. It's also important to understand that solar power uh, destroys the environment as well because they're leaching cadmium and selenium into, and lead into the uh, soil and into the water. In fact, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's monstrous what's going on north of Brisbane, a proposed Chinese development of a solar panel farm. Uh, they're not farms, they're industrial complexes um, directly affecting Brisbane's water supply for 2 million people. So, I mean, we've got to protect the environment. That's the number one thing. The environment can't exist without civilization. Uh, being productive, and civilization can't be productive without the environment being protected. So the future of our civilization, the future of our environment are interdependent and rely on each other. All right. Anthony Albanese, the federal opposition leader yesterday, uh, talk policy. He'll be on the program a little later this morning. But, by the way, he's promising workers a better deal with a suite of reforms to improve job security and provide minimum pay and entitlements to those in insecure work. Uh, what's your take on this? Well, I think he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. For a start, his policies on energy, his policies on, on lack of taxation reform are crueling job security. Secondly, his policies on, uh, on, on energy, as I just mentioned, don't take into account the, the fact that Australian workers need to be productive. And we can't be productive when we've got energy costs that are now amongst the highest in the world due to Labor policies under Kevin Rudd and uh, Julia Gillard and due to liberal, labor, uh, liberal national policies under John Howard and every Prime Minister since. So what we need to do is look at the big picture. But also it's very hypocritical and I believe dishonest of Anthony Albanese to talk what he's talking about casuals because Joel Fitzgibbon had plenty of opportunity to, re to address the casual issues in the Hunter Valley. Instead, what he did was he tried to misrepresent me going after it. And now what we're seeing is I was absolutely right with Simon Turner and others in the Hunter Valley, loss of workers' compensation, loss of their leave entitlements, loss of their long service leave, uh, accruals being accurate, loss of their uh, accident pay, being suppressed when they, when they had an accident or injury, yeah. and being told to cover it up. Anthony Albanese has got to come clean on this. Joel Fitzgibbon had six years to fix this. So did, the, so did the Liberal Party. They've done nothing until their big corporate mates get into trouble, and now they're wanting to take on the little guy again. Well, all right, let's move on to the World Health Organisation and that dopey, uh, ridiculous, so-called investigation into COVID. Yeah, can you believe it, that they think no. it might have come from our beef? I mean, this is absolutely monstrous. We know that the Chinese Communist Party 
and the UN, have collu- uh, through the World Health Organization, have colluded closely to suppress the news of COVID uh, virus in China early last year. We know that. Mm. And, and that enabled the, the virus to get, a, to get a march on around the world. And, I mean, the Chinese came out and the World Health Organization echoed them, saying there is no human-to-human virus transmission, none at all. And then they, they suppressed news of that. They suppressed their own doctors of it. And the World Health Organization's chief has been beholden to China. So this is not an investigation. It's a cover-up. It's a complete cover-up. And can we really have confidence that this is a transparent and thorough investigation? No, we can't. And what we need to do is get the hell out of the World Health Organization and get out of the UN. That's why I called for an Oz exit from the UN back in 2016, and I keep calling for that. The UN is a corrupt, dishonest, incompetent, lazy organization that is hurting our country. Well, they say the likely scenario is that the virus passed from original animal host to intermediary animals, including frozen and chilled animal products, including Australian beef, to humans. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. They wouldn't allow an investigation for 12 months, basically. They covered everything up. They weren't allowed to go to the lab. I mean, this is not, a, this is not an investigation. It's a stitch-up. All right. What about the nationals? Are they backing away from manufacturing policy? Um, They've collapsed on coal. They're backing net zero 2050. Uh, It means they're, in your opinion, opposing jobs. Yes. uh, We we talked last week about the fact that the nationals came up with a lovely glossy booklet and the core of that booklet, sorry, on their managing policy, but on their manufacturing policy, but the core of that booklet was a, a, a solid page on their support for coal. Then we put a motion into the Senate uh, one week ago and, and we said, you know, we need to build a coal-fired power station in Hunter Valley, which is exactly what the Nationals were proposing. And in the face of the motion in the Senate, the Nationals ran away and voted with the Liberals against a coal-fired power station in the Hunter after they said just a week before that they were, were supporting it. So they abandoned coal last week. Now we see their manufacturing policy relies upon cheap energy but with the net zero 2050, it means that the Liberal Party will be opposing jobs and opposing cheap energy and opposing manufacturing. And the Nationals have meekly rolled over again because this, this uh, policy for net zero, according to the IPA, will cost coal miners, farmers and steel and iron workers amongst the majority of the 654,000 jobs that will be lost by the adoption of net zero. We can't afford it. It's absolute rubbish. All right. And uh, what, let's move now to the north of the country, uh, Western Australia in particular, um, the northwest. Yet another overreach, you say, by Mark McGowan, the WA Premier, in closing down for some five days. Yes. You know, Marcus, I was supposed to be calling you from WA up in the northwest, up near the Kimberleys today, but unfortunately we couldn't go there because... Mark McGowan capriciously locked down parts of WA again and made it impossible for us to get there and come back in the time without some risk. So we need a better way of managing our community and business in the face of the virus being here. It's just ludicrous where we get one case and people get locked down. We get people jumping on a plane in Perth, coming to Brisbane. By the time they land in Brisbane, five hours later, they suddenly find out that the, the uh, WA has been locked down and they have to go into... Um, into hotel quarantine for two weeks at their own expense. This is not right. And we've got people uh, in, in New South Wales contacted me saying they'd love to spend a holiday in, in northern uh, Queensland, beautiful up there, and they, they're not going to do it because they just don't know what Anastasia Palaszczuk is going to do. McGowan, Palaszczuk, the uh, control freak in Victoria, 
They're, 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 using, they're using lockdowns capriciously, and the, even the UN's Corrupt World Health Organization has admitted that lockdowns are a blunt instrument to be used when things are out of control to get control. So is the, are the premiers of Western Australia, Queensland and Victoria simply admitting that they can't control their states properly with the virus in their states? Always good to have you on for your views. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Marcus. Have a good day, mate. Take care, Malcolm. Malcolm Roberts, One Nation Senator, if you'd like to comment on that, 131269. Look, uh, Malcolm, to his credits, always sticks to his guns. We get a lot of people uh, online in particular who have a crack at us for allowing Malcolm on. Sometimes we share podcasts of Malcolm. And it's, ironically, some of the most viewed and commented on content we have online. (laughs) So he's a conversation starter, at least. And even if you don't agree with what Malcolm says, as we say on this program, it's always important to hear alternate points of view. That's what this show is all about. Marcus Paul in the morning. Adam, are you there, mate? Morning, Marcus. How are you? All right, thank you, Adam. It's 11 to 8. What did you want to talk about? Well, things are getting strange in City Hall, aren't they? First, we got Karen Phelps that's going to challenge Clover Moore. Now, Christine Forster is out. Former MP Karen Phelps will challenge political rival Clover Moore in an attempt to become Sydney's Lord Mayor in this year's September election. The former member for Wentworth said it was time to bring in a new era after 17 years of the same old, same old, which she says has grown stale under Clover Moore, yes. Yes, unfortunately, I'd have to say to Karen, good luck with that, because trying to go up against Clover Moore, one of her um, anointed colleagues or successors would be, you'd be better off trying to push rocks up a hill, because you're going to get hit as you get rolling back down, but <laughs> Clover Moore, she's just, she's just titanic, like, you can't really lean the blow on her. Well, I don't know. Uh, well, who knows? Who knows? Karen Phelps may well stand a chance. I mean, Miss Moore is looking to win her fifth term this year. It's a long time to be a Lord Mayor, but Lord Mayors tend to, if they're good, and a lot of people think Clover Moore has been good for Sydney, you know, if they're good, they can basically stay there for as long as they want, as long as they keep being re-elected. I mean, the incumbent has massive resources, but it's time, says Karen Phelps, to place the City of Sydney in new safe hands. Ms Moore is looking to win her fifth term this year after the 2020 local government elections were postponed, of course, due to COVID-19. Well, we'll be talking probably... Well, we absolutely will throughout the course of this year. Uh, for our 2SM listeners in particular, we'll be speaking to both Clover Moore and Karen Phelps on the program to hear what they have to offer. And in particular, I'd be really keen to understand what Karen Phelps has to offer, which will be any different to Clover Moore. I mean, it's all, it's a democracy, but it it will be important, I think, in my opinion, to hear uh, what the alternate will be. And is it time in Sydney, perhaps, for new leadership, for someone to step up to the plate with different ideas? But uh, I guess my caller is right. It'll be difficult. Karen Phelps will be up against an incumbent who's very popular and has, you know, I guess a good track record. I mean, yes, there have been mistakes and probably mismanagement of money, in my opinion. She's wasted a bit, has clover on a lot of grandstanding and certainly a lot of issues in relation to, you know, sculptures. She's very arty. She's been an ardent 
and wonderful supporter of the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. She obviously is a fervent supporter of the LGBT, uh, L, you know what I mean, of the community, the gay community, gay and lesbian community. And that's great because a lot of people within the Sydney of City electorate are from the LGBTQI community. So it'll be difficult, very difficult for Karen Phelps. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Anthony Albanese, and I think, you know, that he's got... Uh, I, I, wrote, I ran for leader of the Labor Party. Marcus, Paul in the morning. Ah, yes. Anthony Albanese will be on the program after 8.30 this morning. We're going to catch up with Albo then. John's on the open line. Hello, John. Hello, Marcus. How are you? I listen to Malcolm Roberts. It's very hard for me to get you. I'm up here in the All right, mate. Just, I tried to... Okay, just get on with it, please. Uh, um, anyway, what he's saying is correct. We've got to get energy. Now, we're going to shut down another uh, another refinery in Melbourne. We'll yeah. have two or, th- two or three left. Now, Ch- China's got more than 2,000 coal-fired power stations. They're going to build another 1,000. Yeah. We're, exporting, we're exporting iron ore. It's got to be smelted by by uh, coal. You can't do it any other way. Yeah. Now, we bring the steel back. We sell it for $180, $180 a ton, and we bring it back for $700 a ton. They're talking about defence and everything else. China's going to build a satellite city up in, in North in New Guinea. They can throw rocks from there over here to here. We're, we're, they're <laughs> shutting down our, our energy. Our, they can, for sure. No, I know. They, I, they, I, I agree with you. And I can't understand why the government hasn't jumped up up and down as much as probably what most Australians would oh, like. We haven't, we, haven't, we haven't found a slogan for it yet. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> John, I love it. Look, uh, in relation to uh, refining of uh, petroleum products, you're right. That's a worry. What happens, you know, if there's a war or our supply chain is cut? We're gone. We're gone, pal. Look, the other thing is Mm. they're going to build defence equipment and everything else. You cannot build it without steel, and you can't melt steel with a candle. And you must have coal-fired power stations. You've got to have a blast furnace to do it. Yep. Now, I go to the Hunter Valley regularly, yeah. regularly. Yep. I've got set-ups out there. Right. And I talk to people out there. What do they and say? And they've had a gutful. A gutful. And they need, if they shut down the, the aluminium place out there, that'll cripple the place again. Do people realise the 66% got these figures, they're irrefutable, you can get it from the from the government. Sixty-six yeah. percent of Australia's total economy comes from the rural areas of Australia, whether it be mining or agriculture or anything else. That's where sixty-six percent comes from. So all you people on wage earners and everything else, and in the city getting this and everything else, they're neglected out there, but they're generating the wealth for you people to live in the cities. All right, John. Well said. Thank you, mate. Alrighty, uh, coming up to five to eight. I promised I'd play a little bit of this this radio gold from yesterday uh, with a couple of kings of the airwaves. One uh, on the FM band and our own very John Laws. Okay, Emmanuel, are you there? Good morning. Uh, let, hi, hi. I don't actually hate both of you. You know the best thing to do, for people to do for, for you, both of you. Well, we got to listen to me try and unjumble that sentence. Yep. yep. Okay. What's the best thing? Again, for you, just in case you didn't hear it clearly, I'll repeat it. 
the best thing that uh, listeners can do for both of you is to flick it to another station, a, a relevant station. Okay, so why don't you? <laughs> Sorry? Why don't you, you idiot? No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why I don't. I do. I, do. I don't normally listen to you at all. I know, because you hate me. <laughs> I don't hate you at all. I don't hate anybody, but I'll tell you what I do listen to. What? To RPH. Who? Other rock Who? Exactly. Who? Who do you listen to? You don't know 2RPH? You're at 1269, oh. and this is at 1224. And what are they doing over there on this, uh, whatever this uh, little-known station is? What are they doing? What's so fabulous about that show? Well, let's put it this way. You get an education out of listening to those people because they're reading the newspapers and they're reading intelligent articles. Listening to two, you two, do you want to tell you what I've learned? Well, Nothing. <laughs> why? Nothing. We're not your education station, whatever you... What's your name again? We're arrogant. And I, I learned that Mr. Mr. Lord, oh, again, is pure arrogance. That's all I've learned out of you. Well, how about you ring back when you can string a sentence together? That's always fun. Bullshit. Oh, there we go. Oh, the old... Oh, listen. Here we go. Yes. Have you got a sensor? Here, here, Emmanuel. (laughs) Whatever you like. Emmanuel, you're just showing your true colours now. Whatever you like. What a shame. I'd like to get to know Emmanuel, though. Where are you calling from, Emmanuel? Sorry? Which city are you calling from? I'll tell you. Do you know where Hurstville is at all? Yes, it's a suburb of Sydney, of course. I've never travelled on the Illawarra line, do you? Well, on the what, on, on a railway line. Why would I be on a Why would I be on a train? You've got your Daimler or whatever it is. It's not a Daimler. Well, you wouldn't know, You wouldn't know where Hurstville is. Oh my God! Are you? We've, are, to, we've uh, been to Hurstville together. Yeah, we have. We have been there. Something, Kyle. Do you want to know something? Can I tell you? Sure. So, that I worked out your who you were is because he was talking about Jackie O. I said, Oh, who's he talking about with Jackie O? Who's that clown? With your arrogant voice, your stupid... And that's me. Your... I'm the clown with the arrogant voice. No, no, I'm the clown with the arrogant voice. No, I am. No, well, I wanted to be... All it's I've... my turn to be the clown with the arrogant voice. <laughs> I don't understand. Well, why, is this... why do you bother even ringing someone you hate? This is what we were talking about before. You, if you don't like someone, you why just you... avoid yeah. them. You don't, you don't sort them out. What are you going to do? What's your purpose? $25,000 worth of hay. I've got a 100-acre farm that I've got a 1,000 animals on I'm not paying that a year for hay. Ridiculous. What you're talking, Emmanuel, is ridiculous. And let me give you a warning. You better be careful what you say because it can be very damaging and stuff that you have just cited is very damaging and I don't like it. And if you came in here, I'd be very happy to break your nose. Oh, wow. I love this. Well, I'm coming to AM. This is the place. This is where it's all at. Good. You are swearing at people. You also make uh, physical threats, do you? Oh, no. I'll I'll make a physical threat uh, against you. Yeah, we'll both break your nose. (laughs) Oh, it depends. You scare me. A fat (laughs) with like. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) No, no, we'll do with it. We'll do with it. You've gone too far now. Well, you know, he wasn't wasn't wrong. Well, we can't can't have the word fat being thrown out. No, I I won't be. It's, it's, It's appalling. <laughs> terrible. What a, hey, wasn't he a nasty piece of work? He was, but it was great radio. Um, and yes, Kyle would be wonderful on Talkback. In fact, I can announce this morning, officially, exclusively here on Marcus Paul in the morning, that there's an open invitation for Kyle Sanderlands to come and work for us here at the Super Radio Network when he's finished playing, I don't know, with the kids over at KISS. And that's from the big boss. All right, an official 
invitation to Kyle, Kyle Sanderlands, to come and work here on the Super Radio Network. You can't have breakfast, though, okay? No. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to another shift. But anyway, uh, the... Uh, this is the official invitation to you, Kyle, on the uh, the breakfast show this morning. You can come and work here any day of the week. In fact, preferably five days, as soon as possible. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Okay, great to have you company. Welcome back to the program. Eight and a half minutes after eight. Lawsy, unfortunately, not well today. Maybe his banter with Kyle yesterday took it out of him. Anyway, we'll be here till midday today, okay? A regional skydiving and sports facility in New South Wales has been warded, awarded... $11 million from a bushfire relief fund. Plans to build the Maclay Valley Skydiving Adventure Park were well underway before the fires hit. Labor MP and Public Accountability Committee member Courtney Husos is on the program. Good morning to you, Courtney. Good morning, Marcus. Well, this is absolutely unacceptable. This is outrageous. This was a project that was being shopped around for years and looking for looking for government funding and then because they had the inside running they got the the second largest grant from this total program tell me about bushfires up around the area there uh, why did they receive this money was it because Look, they were affected by bushfires was their facility burnt down oh, i don't know I, i'm I'm struggling no, to no, understand. No, not at all. Exactly. You're, you're, you're the same as all of us, Marcus. This, was, this is a new project. So this wasn't a project that was damaged by the fires. Right. And yes, there were some devastating fires that were on the north, mid-north coast around Kempsey. There were also devastating fires on the central coast and out around the Blue Mountains yep. for months and months and months. Mm. And what we find here is that this project, this this pet project that the council identified months before the fires even started mm. because they had the inside running got the second largest grant funding from from this round i don't blame the council areas- yeah sorry oh sorry courtney i don't blame the council if the council want to you know build infrastructure in in their lga that's fine and uh, they're well entitled to apply for government grants i mean that's what taxpayer dollars is for but it shouldn't have come out of the bushfire grant. Well, and this is the question that the government should answer today, the New South Wales Liberals and Nationals. If this project failed two longer, more rigorous projects, what was the grounds for fast-tracking it? What was the reason that this funding went to Kempsey instead of going to the Central Coast and to the Blue Mountains? Well, I think you know the answer. Do you want to tell me why you think that happened? That they had the inside running. This is just another... I'm, I'm part of the Public Accountability Committee. We're holding a long-ranging inquiry into government grants programs. Of course. And this is a pattern of behaviour. These grants programs need to be run so that everybody has the same access. They need to have open and accessible criteria and everybody should have the ability to have their say and to have it assessed independently. But that's not what happened. This one had the inside track running, and, it, and it's not fair. It's not fair on the people of the Central Coast and the Blue Mountains who were also affected and missed out. 
The government says rural fire service data showed that more than 90% of buildings damaged and destroyed by the fires were in coalition-held seats. An assessment report for the National Bushfire Recovery Agency found that more than 53% of the Kempsey LGA was burnt during the Black Summer bushfires. So, look, I understand that money may well need to go to that neck of the woods. I get that. I've got a problem with that. But what's the urgency for a skydiving and adventure sports facility? Shouldn't it go to perhaps businesses and buildings and other infrastructure that was burnt down rather than something that is a brand new project? That's exactly right. And that's what the Blue Mountains Mayor said. They had 25 projects ready to go. People who had been directly affected Mm. by the bushfires who had had their businesses damaged. Now, of course, we want to promote jobs in regional areas, of course. But this funding should have gone to the people who were affected, whose businesses were directly harmed by bushfires. Yeah. And we know that there were that the only reason they had it was because they had that inside running, and that's not fair. <sighs> pork barrelling. The Premier has defiantly declared pork barrelling not illegal amid accusations she's used taxpayer funds to buy an election. However, the opposition and crossbench have seized on funding revelations, pointing out that just $2.5 million of the first round of funding went to New South Wales Labor-held seats of Cessnock and Lismore. Among the allocated grants was $3.6 million for an engineered coastal seawall in Nambucca, as far away from the fires as you can get, $10 million to upgrade the Tumut Mill in the snowy region and an adventure park in Kempseyshire Council within the Nationals-held seat of Oxley. The Nationals. Right. Oh, well, <laughs> let me tell you about another project on the north shore of, of, of Sydney, $194,000 to a project to expand onto the central coast where they've seen a doubling, I'm told they've seen a doubling of their amateur beekeepers, of course an area that's affected, but instead of giving that money to the local community, they gave it to a, to a company on the North Shore. This is why we need openness and transparency. This is why everyone should know about the grants that are open and it shouldn't rely on an insider phone call or someone saying, yeah, come and, come and show us what you want to spend your money on. There should be an open and transparent process where everybody has the ability to apply and to say this is the project we should fund. Good to have you on the program, Courtney. We'll keep on this. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Marcus. My pleasure. Bye-bye. All right, well, there we go, Courtney Hussos. Uh, Look, it just gets more murkier and murkier as the day goes by, as the days go by, I should say. Anyway, a regional skydiving and sports facility in New South Wales awarded $11 million from a bushfire relief fund. Okay, granted, it may well create some 20-odd jobs, 25 jobs. I think that's the figure I'm reading here. Let's have a look. Yes. Sorry, 64 jobs during construction and at least 39 jobs post-construction. The Kempsey Council project background document said it would create 87 jobs during construction and 15 jobs after a combination of all direct industrial and consumption effects. The council said it anticipates preparation works for the projects and potentially a BMX pump track could be completed this calendar year. 11 million bucks, eh? under a so-called bushfire recovery fund. 131269 if you'd like to have your say on that. All right, it's a quarter past eight. Marcus Paul in the morning. 
Come up the dial and give us a trial. Marcus Paul in the morning. Tell you what, you certainly feel the shoes. You've done a really good job. You take these dead heads on <laughs> where they should be. You put them in their place. You have an opinion, which is great. Keep up the good work. Well done. We're really pleased that you've come to the station. Thank you. Tell you what, Marcus, you've got some guts of steel to start calling this BS out. You know, let's call it out for what it is, you know, which which you are, so, so thank you. And I can tell you, this is the first time that I have thought, oh my God, I can't believe somebody is finally standing up and saying something. All the news and views. Breakfast with Marcus Paul. It'd be one thing if the Australian government paid 57 times the price they should have for water with your money going to a Cayman Islands company set up by another politician and we at least got the water. It'd be another if we didn't. Because when Barnaby is confronted by this, you know what his response is? Those lefties wanted more water in the environment, so I bought it for 57 times the price that I should have. That's a bargain. But as Marion Slattery points out, the levy banks on the property we paid for the licenses on are still there. So the water hasn't gone back into the environment. Plus, there's no dam to store the water, so it can't be released strategically. And it's an overland flow license, which means that when the water eventually leaves the property, it's gone. The Nationals' donors can illegally suck it all up for free with no repercussions. So in short, the elected official bought water with taxpayer money from his mate, paid 57 times the price. Then his mate never delivered the product. That's the level of corruption that is public surrounding water in this country. There's countless examples of water buybacks that are just like Watergate. Chris Corrigan, the guy famous for busting unions, got the same cosy treatment from Barnaby. To this day, Angus denies that he's involved with Eastern Australia agriculture. But I'd love to see the documents that absolve him of that. Hmm. Yeah, there we go. The water scandal in this country explained in 75 seconds by Jordan Shanks, a.k.a. Friendly Geordie. Does anyone care, though? Does anyone care? Well, we bloody well all should care. It's our money. 21 after 8. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital with Christina Rosengren. Morning, Christina. How are you? Well, thank you, Marcus. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for coming on early. We've got you on early because, of course, Anthony Albanese will be our guest on the program after 8.30. Meanwhile, the Morrison government has indicated it will push back against a UK plan to establish carbon tariffs. Yes, so carbon tariffs are a tax on energy-intensive imports, and uh, they're something the UK is advocating for ahead of a G7 G7 summit in June, and that's because it believes it could act as a type of global emissions trading scheme, and that's really with the view of piling on pressure on countries with weaker climate laws. Uh, The European Union is also very much a supporter of carbon tariffs. It's actually committed to a carbon border tax by 2023, which is expected to hit some Australian products. Uh, But some Australian government sources have reportedly told The Age that Australia will really try to resist any attempt to introduce these carbon tariffs. Uh, The Morrison government is expected to argue that they would undermine the free trade deals Australia has with the UK and the EU and that they're not aimed at combating climate change but are instead economic objectives to protect local industries, so suggesting it's protectionism. But what this really signals is that, uh, you know, the Morrison government is increasingly uh, facing a fight with uh, other leading economies about climate change. 
All right, Labor has suggested the Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton breach ministerial standards in awarding grants through the Safer Communities Program. So an ABC investigation has revealed that uh, Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton ignored his own department's recommendations for uh, which organisations should be awarded millions of dollars of taxpayer funds through the Safer Communities Program, which is aimed at community crime prevention. And instead, he used that money to support grants in two councils that were in the lead-up to a by-election in a marginal seat. And uh, his department reportedly did not recommend those grants should be funded at all. So he basically (laughs) overruled his department, which he is allowed to do, but under the grant grant guidelines he's supposed to take into account you know the assessment of each project and Mr Dutton was also warned that ignoring that uh, assessment could draw scrutiny from the National Auditor General much like the community sports program did Mm. and that's that's uh, also facing, and there's also some questions about uh, funding the minister gave to an organisation which had donated to the Queensland Liberal National Party eight days earlier. So Labor is basically suggesting that this is a breach of ministerial standards and has called on Mr Dutton to come clean, but the minister, of course, denies any suggestion of misconduct. Of course he does. All right, a new report has revealed the majority of homeless people placed in emergency accommodation at the height of the pandemic are now back on the streets, unfortunately. Yes, so this is a report by the University of New South Wales and the Australian Council of Social Services, and they estimate that around 40,000 people were moved into emergency accommodation in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and South Australia between mid-March and the end of September last year, and almost half of those were rough sleepers, and they were given this accommodation of a fears about risks of them becoming infected with and transmitting COVID-19. But this report has now found that only a third of those who were rehomed have moved into long-term housing, meaning two-thirds are now homeless again. And that's because there's not enough social housing stock and also because uh, rent assistance is inadequate in making private rental housing more affordable, which can then, of course, lead to homelessness. And ACOS CEO Cassandra Goldie is warning that the homelessness crisis could become a lot worse once the federal government's job seeker unemployment benefit is cut at the end of next month, along with the end of emergency tenant protections. All right, Christina, thank you. Appreciate you coming on early. We'll hear you today across the Super Radio Network. Thank you. Thank you. Christina in the capital, Marcus Paul in the morning. If you feel you've got something to say, go and do it right away. From the news at 8.30. Uh, now, Lawsy not in today, un- unfortunately feeling a little unwell. By the way, we'll speak to Cassandra Goldie on that issue that uh, we just had Christina on. This new report revealing the majority of homeless people placed in emergency accommodation at the height of the pandemic are now back on the street. So Cassandra Goldie on this story after 10 o'clock this morning on The Law Show. Do, 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 do.
right, 25 minutes away from nine, Federal Opposition Leader Anthony Albanese on the program in just a moment or two. We'll catch up with Diane as well uh, from the newsroom. G'day, Dave. Sub says, Mum, can we get Dad around to it for his birthday? Hang on. The son says to Mum, can we get Dad a what for his birthday? Around to it for his birthday. Right. Mum says, well, what on earth is around to it? Hmm. Son says, I don't know. But he says he'll fix my bike when he gets one. <laughs> now on Marcus Paul in the morning. The Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney Garland. Morning, Dizzy. Morning. How are you? I'm very well, although I was just a little bit concerned. I thought Justin was about to try and sit on my lap. He was trying to get past the chair. Oh, he's a little frisky uh, <laughs> well, these days. Well, I was days. wondering. I mean, like, goodness me. <laughs> Did you hear what happened before the 8.30 news? No, I didn't, actually. All right. Hey, here's a little refresher. Come in here, Scruff. You're going to have some explaining to do to die and me, but that's nothing compared to the leader of the opposition when you get home tonight. Hey, Scruff, how are you going out there? You know, uh, tomorrow um, it's all about um, you know romance here on the program ahead I'm of Valentine's Day. I'm already day. getting heat from the girls in the newsroom. Good, Why don't good. you just give flowers to your girlfriend or your wife? Well, wife. tomorrow I said wife. Tomorrow, your girlfriend. <laughs> Stop the presses! Hey, I've got to go to the news. I'll have it. <laughs> your girlfriend. Oh, oh, now you're going to have to go and buy. Chocolates oh. as well as flowers. Goodness me. Now, Chocolates I, and flowers? When I said oh, you yes. needed to Diamonds. be romantic, <laughs> and what have you done the day uh, before Valentine's I Day? Know, I'm on in air, very big trouble. I don't know what of I've, God knows how many people. At you least gave two me or three. love advice yesterday. What advice have <laughs> you got today? Uh, well, I got I'm a sure good, you've been through this I've a few got times. A fair, <laughs> decent divorce lawyer. No, uh, can I say, um, don't mention your girlfriend on live on radio no. when you're married. No. Would that be the advice? Yeah, that'd be the best advice. I, it was I a faux pas. have you die. You're my girlfriend, Diane, and, <laughs> and all the girls, news, news so girls. So tomorrow, die. We, we're going to organise it. So mm-hmm. there will be love lessons for Scruff tomorrow ahead of Valentine's Day because. The po- and we're going to get the leader of the opposition on the program Fantastic. as well. We'll dial she might her up. Not be talking to me tomorrow. <laughs> well, she'll talk to me. That's all that matters, and to the listeners. And I want to get. I want to get to the bottom of why it is that Justin is so unromantic. I know. Flowers die. <laughs> yes, please. I'd love some flowers. Flowers don't die. You need to. You need. You know what you need to do. As, as Wombat said yesterday, when she a ran, rose rang a rose bush. Yes, that's a good idea, or a plant, plant. of some sort. Yep. That's what Rose Emma, bush the newsroom, with flowers on the newsroom it. girls are going him. plants. You, you watch him. He'll rock up tomorrow. He'll rock. Sorry, on Sunday, with to his to his lovely wife Belinda, the leader of the opposition, the one that keeps you know the fires burning at home. He'll rock up with a parsley bush or something. <laughs> well, I could put it on the dinner. That's a good idea. Oh. Oh, Is it? Dear. Are we fighting a lost cause here? Yes, I'm starting are. to wonder. Yes. Mm. Anyway, all right. Well, look, as I said, that audio has been sent already to uh, one Belinda Scruff. <laughs> good luck tonight when you get home. Thanks, Di. Yeah. Thank you. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. The usual spin and marketing spiel we get from ScoMo and his mob, and nobody wants to take any responsibility at all for the robo-debt scandal, do they? Well, ScoMo should be called Promo with the way that uh, he acts. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, Federal Opposition Leader Anthony Albanese is promising workers across Australia a quote-unquote better deal with a suite of reforms to improve job security and provide minimum pay and entitlements to those in insecure work. I'm happy to say that Albo's with us on the program. Morning, mate. 
G'day, Marcus. Greetings from uh, sunny Queensland. You've been busy up there. I, I sure have. I've been to Cairns and Harvey Bay and Bundaberg and Maryborough and all around southeast Queensland. It's been a terrific visit. And Queenslanders are very warm. Uh, they're not always warm on State of Origin night for no. New South Welshmen. But hmm. apart from that, 362 nights a year, they're welcoming. And 365 days, so it's been terrific to get out there and engage. I've done street walks yep. in all of those places. I've engaged with people one-in-one, uh, one-on-one, unscripted. And uh, that's the way you find out what's happening on the ground. Yeah. Well, good, uh, because you're going to need to get out and about, Albo, to sell uh, your policies. You delivered this speech yesterday where you called for a process to set minimum pay in the gig economy. You say that Labor wants portable leave entitlements and you will legislate a cap on rolling fixed-term contracts and a requirement for Labor hire workers to receive the same pay as their co-workers. Three very simple principles, Marcus. Job security better pay and a fairer system. It's not on at the moment that you can have workers side by side, one paid uh, through a labour hire company, the other paid as a permanent employee, and they can be uh, subject to to 20% and more differential in their pay. Uh, The person for the labour hire company not get uh, annual leave and sick leave and those entitlements. And it's a pretty simple principle. Same job, same pay. We also need to recognise that the world has changed. Technology has brought a whole range of benefits for us. But what we know is that five people lost their lives in just three months at the end of last year. Cycling around, delivering food, delivering products to people, uh, underpaid uh, through an algorithm, essentially, uh, gig work with, with no minimum pay, essentially piecework, placing pressure on them. If you're on a bike and you're told you've got eight minutes to get a delivery somewhere Mm. and that's how much you're going to be paid, but you know that driving or riding safely will take actually more than that, uh, then then you have no recourse. And we know that there are real human consequences for this. And, And Australians want a fair go. Uh, for their fellow workers, and that's why we need to recognise that this this insecure work, which has grown, yep. uh, needs to be uh, a part of the industrial relations system through the Fair Work Commission. At the moment, it's not. No. And all of these apps, of course, are yeah. owned overseas. All right, now, it's an attack on the casualisation of the workforce here in Australia. Uh, You promise an ALP government would legislate to create a fair test to determine when a worker can be classified as a casual. What do you mean by that? Well, that's right. Well, at at the moment, uh, we have had a case, actually, uh, taken by uh, a a miner here in Queensland, uh, Mr Skeen, who won his case in the federal court. uh, And then there was an appeal uh, he was working as a as a permanent, effectively. And uh, we know that there are many examples of people who are working the same hours, on the same days, on the same week. Uh, they get given a roster a year in advance. Uh, there's a whole range of examples, but whereby they're classified as a casual in order to deny them uh, some of the rights that, that workers have, have fought for and won over the years, rights that 
many of us take for granted. Uh, so what we need is a proper definition of casual, uh, accepted, so that everyone understands that uh, what that definition is. Now, uh, casual work can be terrific. I, I worked at Macca's. Uh, I worked at Pancakes on the Rocks down at uh, down the, in the city. Uh, I worked at Grace Brothers on Thursday night, Saturday morning, stacking shelves. It can be terrific for people. Uh, we're not saying that, it, that it's bad. What we are saying, though, is that casual work needs to be just that, casual, not permanent work, disguised as casual work. Because if you're a casual worker, you, you find difficulty to get a loan for a home. Uh, you also, with the uncertainty, uh, have difficulty planning to, to have a family and planning your life. And, and income and work security is a huge issue sure. out there. What about the uh, better off overall test in reference to the omnibus bill's most controversial provision to allow pay deals that will leave workers worse off? I mean, the government wants to abolish the better off overall test. Well, well, that's the government's approach. Our approach is more job security. Their approach is to get rid of the better off overall test. Now, common sense tells you, Marcus, if you're trying to get rid of the better off overall test, you don't want people to be better off overall. And, and I read today uh, in the paper with, with some shock that a submission to the inquiry into this legislation from McDonald's is saying that... that uh, people who get uh, a Big Mac or French fries or yeah. what have you on, on your meal break, yeah. that should be taken into account over whether you're better off overall. I mean, fair income. Uh, we're <laughs> oh, we're oh, a what? better country than that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, work, I worked at Maccas, mm. and, I, and I think it's a good thing that young people in particular... Absolutely. ...you know, get that those hours. You, you learn. Uh, my son mm. uh, went and worked uh, at Woolies as soon as he was uh, old enough to do so. Yep. Now, it's a good thing. It teaches them discipline. It teaches them teamwork. It gets them into the pattern of work. Yep. But for goodness sake, I've got to tell you that I didn't regard it as a privilege when mm. I got to have a bit of food uh, during my break no. because you, you work your butt off yep. in those jobs. Anthony, uh, industrial relations laws. Uh, you've come out uh, with a, a key policy statement on this yesterday. Um, is this going to be one of the major issues that you'll be following up on leading into the next federal election, which many say will be this year, rather it than necessarily be. the old Labor leading with climate change high on the agenda? I know that's important to you, but might I suggest that uh, you're fighting a good fight on industrial relations laws. I think this could be uh, a winner. Perhaps this should be the focus, the IR laws. We will be very much focused. Look, the Labor Party for 130 years has stood for the rights of working people. We've, we've stood up. We, we grew out of uh, their shearer strike here in, uh, in Barcolden in Queensland in 1891. And uh, we fought uh, work choices and uh, were successful and and will fight this government's legislation as well because uh, it's in uh, their DNA, it, it seems. Now, there was a process last year, as you're aware, Marcus, whereby the government said they were going to ask unions and employers to sit down and try and work out uh, some reform proposals. Uh, and I thought that was a good thing. Uh, the whole principle 
of common interest between employers and employees is one that I very much adhere to. But when the legislation came out, getting rid of the better off overall test, that's something that wasn't spoken about. Yeah. The government never spoke about it last year. They weren't getting questions saying we need to get rid of the better off overall test during question time. It came as an absolute shock. And it's because uh, it, it's just what coalition governments do. Uh, they don't get how hard it is for people out there to get by. And what we saw during the pandemic is that those people who are in insecure work, casual workers, didn't get support through uh, JobKeeper, and those people in insecure work were the first people laid off, uh, the first people to do it really tough. And, and, and I feel for them, and I think one of the lessons of the pandemic is that what we need is more security for people because we live, do live in an uncertain world. Yeah. If we were doing this interview a couple of years ago, we mm. would have said, what are you talking about, yeah. coronavirus? What's that? Just on Well, that, we need to prepare. Just very briefly, the news is uh, creeping up, Anthony, if you wouldn't mind, just quickly. Should we be getting stuck into uh, the coronavirus vaccine now? And what did you make of uh, the health minister's comments yesterday about you know, almost excusing using the Liberal Party slogan on official Australian government's advices. Uh, this is a government, and Greg Hunt personified it yesterday, that thinks that taxpayers' money is Liberal and National Party money. I found it disgraceful. Uh, we have been constructive uh, during uh, the pandemic. Uh, we've all put the arguments about vaccinations yeah. and what's required and to put a Liberal Party logo on something that has nothing to do with party politics is about people's health. What are we going to do? Get little Liberal Party logos on the syringes as they vaccinate people. I mean, yeah. this bloke is out of control and he attacked the ABC interviewer for daring to ask the question. All right, this mate. is an arrogant government. Okay, um, you're not hopping, hopping inside the cockpits of any fighter jets today, are you, Albo? <laughs> no, mate, I'll leave that to the marketing guy. Right. I, I, just, I just thought that was... I, I, I just shook my head. <laughs> All right, mate, got to go. When I saw that. See you, mate. Bye-bye. This is Marcus Paul filling in for John Laws on the Super Radio Network. Good morning and welcome to the program. Unfortunately, John not well today, so we're in the chair till midday. All the news and your views. Give us a call. Let us know what's on your minds. Uh, if you want to uh, get in touch, 13 12 69 being the telephone number, or if you like, because you'll hear that on uh, on a lot of my recorded stuff, but a couple of numbers you can call. one 564652 or 13 12 69. And, of course, emails... Well, please send them through the regular way, thefortress at johnlaws.com.au. 
And the text line is open 0458 049 209. If you'd like to send a text to the program. Uh, the John Laws Morning Show around Australia with Marcus Paul in the morning. All the news and your views. We've got plenty to talk about. There's lots happening. Let's get into it on this Thursday morning, February 11, 2021. Great to have you company. Uh, let me know what's on your mind, 13 12 69 or 1300 564652. And I see the number of coronavirus cases linked to the Holiday Inn at Melbourne Airport has now grown to eight, with at least one of those people now having been in the community since Sunday. The hotel has been closed down for the time being, with all those in quarantine transferred to other hotels. It's thought the use of a nebulizer by one of the returning travellers has sparked this latest outbreak. Meanwhile, there is concern that this latest breach may have seen the virus able to cross the border into New South Wales, only adding to the simmering tensions between New South Wales and Victoria. Premier Gladys Berejiklian and Victorian leader Daniel Andrews have been at each other's throats over the quality of their respective hotel quarantine systems. Come on. Hasn't COVID-19 been politicised enough? Can't these leaders of whatever jurisdiction, New South Wales, Queensland or Victoria, can't they communicate with each other a little better than this? We know that, unfortunately, the quarantine systems are a product of human operation and catering for humans who may carry the virus, and that means that things can go wrong. There are risks, risks associated with it. I don't think the name-calling and the, you know, the squaring off against each other in the media is going to help anything. All it does, unfortunately, is lead to those most vulnerable in our communities feeling even more at ease. Isn't it time, do you think, that all of our premiers, whether it's Daniel Andrews, whether it's Gladys Berejiklian or Anastasia Palaszczuk, isn't it time, and we can even go up to WA, Mark McGowan's been amongst it as well, isn't it time that they all started to get along? Because, I'm sorry, COVID-19 doesn't discriminate across party lines. Doesn't matter whether you support Liberal, Labor or Calathumpian, you are still susceptible to this virus. South Australia, meanwhile, has been quick to shut its borders to anyone from Greater Melbourne, highlighting yet again how reactive some of these states can be. It's ridiculous to think that the knee-jerk response continues. To a credit, Gladys Berejiklian is not talking of closing borders, and yet some of these return travellers have made their way back to New South Wales, raising the potential for concerns. 
Now, the only Australian scientist involved in a World Health Organisation probe into the origin of the virus, Professor Dominic Dwyer, claims the coronavirus may have first appeared in China in mid-November of 2019. That's at least two months before China raised any public alarms or concerns. Professor Dwyer has been on the ground in Wuhan as a part of a World Health delegation with growing evidence the virus did have its origin in China. I see, meantime, the European Commission has confirmed that a batch of COVID vaccines has been approved for shipment here to Australia. The size of that shipment remains unclear, but the vaccine is on its way. Meanwhile, the prospect of unrestricted international travel appears to be way off into the future with leading researchers saying that any prospect of herd immunity against the virus will not be seen until at least 2027. There'd be many airlines and tourism operators that simply cannot wait that long. 2027? Is that that how long it's going to take before international travel resumes? Some members, meanwhile, of the Crown Casino Board appeared determined to stay on despite this damning report into Crown's governance, compiled for the New South Wales Independent Liquor and Gaming Authority. Crown has been told, of course, it will need to blow itself up if it's to have any hope of retaining a casino licence in Sydney. I don't know about you, did anybody else find it ironic that there was a government announcement of the easing, of course, of uh, restrictions on trade? In the cross, in, in Sydney CBD, but the cross in particular, you know, the old lockout, door, lock, lockout laws, they're all coming to an end. And on the same day, we learnt that, unfortunately, Crown Casino couldn't operate as a, well, a casino. They'll make those changes, though. <laughs> you can bet your bottom dollar, and that's what it's all about, the dollar, that they will adhere to the government regulations. Now, the age-old chestnut of staggering school starting times has been flagged again, this time in Melbourne and Brisbane. There is a theory that more people are now using their cars rather than public transport, and that is putting pressure on roads during peak time. But this idea of staggered school starting times has been around for years, but it's never really taken off. I'd love to get your thoughts on it, 13 12 69 or 1300 564 it's at something that you'd agree with. Staggered school starting times. And how would it work? I don't think it would work for those studying their later years, whether it's the school certificate or the HSC, but maybe it will for, I don't know, primary schools perhaps. It's worth a, a look into and a discussion around. <music> Meanwhile, dangerous combustible cladding continues to be used in construction of high-rise buildings in our country despite the introduction of new measures aimed at preventing a repeat of London's Grenfell Towers disaster. And we all remember how awful that was. Donald Trump. Well, the impeachment trial by the US Senate will proceed after being declared constitutional, but many are saying it's an abuse of power. I personally think it's a waste of bloody time. I mean, haven't they got more things to do? The Republicans and the Democrats and everybody in the United States, haven't they got better things to do than impeach the former president of the United States? I mean, the process will run the risk of further polarising American political factions, particularly given the Senate is likely to acquit the former president anyway. Think of the ongoing cost of it, the ongoing cost of security around the buildings, of the 
legal largesse that's involved in this whole procedure. But importantly, it takes away the focus from combating what I think is a greater risk to Americans, and that is the COVID-19 pandemic. All right, quickly in sport, Nick Kyrgios has reached the third round of the Australian Open with a dramatic, in true Nick style of course, a dramatic but fighting five-set epic win over his French opponent. He came back from two sets to one down, did Nick? It was a very different story though for Bernard Tomic. He's out of the tournament and again being accused of not trying, tanking, whatever you want to call it. Bernard, I think it's time, mate, just to give it up. Give the game away. Just go and relax in one of your penthouses up there at Main Beach on the Gold Coast. Drive your Ferraris around the Gold Coast hinterland and just, I don't know, get off the tournament. Get off the circuit. What does he rank now? It's just a complete and utter waste of talent, isn't it? It really is. And uh, in the NRL, Andrew McCulloch is set to leave Brisbane at the end of the year and line up for the Dragons, despite being in the frame to captain the Broncos. So there we go. That's a little of the, the news that's going on today, and we'd love to know what you make of it all uh, and what is on your mind. So please, as always, give us a call. one three hundred five six four six five two. Uh, 13 12 69 as well as the other number you can call through. And emails, thefortress at johnlaws.com.au. Marcus Paul in the morning, filling in for John Laws. I thank Marcus. He's a very good broadcaster, full stop. We love this industry. We love what we're doing. Marcus wouldn't mind doing a double at all. Marcus Paul in the morning. Call 131269. All right. Uh, unfortunately, John not well today. He'll be back fighting fit, no doubt, tomorrow for us around Australia here on the John Laws Morning Show. Meanwhile, we'd love to hear what's on your mind. 13 12 69 or 1300 56 4652, the number. Look, the number of new COVID 19 cases around the world has fallen for the fourth consecutive week. The number of deaths from the virus has also dropped for the second week running, so that is good. But the World Health Organization says the pandemic is still far from over with more than 3.1 million cases reported worldwide last week. Hmm. But it is the fourth week in a row, I guess, that we've seen this downward trend, which is likely thanks in part to the rollout of several vaccines across the world. The World Health Organization reported 3.1 million cases last week. That's the lowest number of cases since the end of October. And the number of reported deaths has also decreased for the second week in a row, I mean, it's still a lot, though. There were 88,000 deaths globally last week. That's down 10%, though, from the week before. The United States is, unfortunately, of course, still leading the world in new cases. A whopping 871,000 last week. (laughs) You can't get your head around these figures, can you? 871,000 new cases of COVID last week alone. That's why I think they should be focused on not impeaching uh, former US President Donald Trump but tackling the virus. I mean, of course, we need to remember the US have a large population and a good health care system that can test large numbers of people. There could well be other poorer countries which have higher numbers of patients but aren't able to keep up with testing. France, Russia, Brazil and the United Kingdom also reported high numbers of cases 
but the World Health Organization data shows all these countries recorded fewer cases than the previous week. The virus is still quite obviously extremely dangerous and spreading rapidly. But it's great to see that signs are starting to appear that it is being brought into somewhat under control. Let's hope the vaccines do work. <laughs> Uh, Some good news, too, on the Australian, uh, I guess, social security front. This morning, 553,000 people have moved off government payments. That's according to the latest uh, COVID-19 supplement payment data from the Australian government. 553,000 people have moved off government payments, which will no doubt please Prime Minister Scott Morrison and the Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. Look, in just a moment, I want to get into the issue of Greg Hunt. He's under pressure, the Federal Health Minister. I mean, he's proven himself to be a calm and competent pair of hands during the coronavirus pandemic, but he is rightly facing questions over the use of the Liberal Party logo attached to a government announcement about COVID vaccines. I mean, (laughs) I spoke to Anthony Albanese on my breakfast program in the last half hour, and he had a lot to say about this. A good old crack at Greg Hunt. Um, and also, obviously, Mr Hunt, in his comments yesterday with ABC News Breakfast presenter Michael Rowland, couldn't help himself but have a good old crack at the ABC as well, calling the presenter a lefty and all the rest of those stupid, useless labels that are out there. Anyway, on to something I think that's equally as pressing, and that is the Murray-Darling Basin Authority. I get a lot of callers uh, because my breakfast program is broadcast into regional New South Wales. I get a lot of callers, farmers who are still at at their wits' end over the use, or misuse rather, of water along that system. Yesterday, and I want to replay this, because obviously we're on a few more stations now. I want to replay a chat that I had with a bloke called Luke Sorensen. Luke's just about had enough. He's a bloke from rural New South Wales. He travels quite often into regional Victoria as well. And he says farmers are still finding it tough because of legislation, in particular from the New South Wales government, that makes it very easy for foreign multinational corporations, foreign investors, to buy up our water here in New South Wales and basically treat it like currency. It's the commodification of water. Oh, and by the way, I had Helen Dalton on this, and this is a breaking story this week. Will it receive the airtime it deserves? Probably not. Did you realise that there are generous tax incentives, that is, no capital gain tax for foreign companies that buy water from in New South Wales. <laughs> the money goes offshore already into a Caymans Island account or wherever. And not only that, they get <laughs> dispensation from paying tax that normal, ordinary Australian farmers have to pay. Capital gains tax. Here's Luke from yesterday. G'day. Marcus, how are you going? All right. Um... How you going? You sound like a, a, a farmer. Are you, am I right there? No, not quite working on it, but 
it's almost impossible to buy a farm these days. You have to inherit one. Really? Where are you calling from? Uh, I own a gun shop in Coona. Okay. All right. Now, uh, what did you call for, mate? So, been talking to a lot of our locals. I've owned our gun shop now for three years, or two years, and in the last three years, we've lost 90% of operational dairy farms around Coona, mm. in between Coona and Gunbower. We've gone from 67 operational dairy farms down to seven, with another one closing shortly. Um, yeah. What's to blame like, for this, Luke? Why, uh, in your community, why are these dairy farmers closing up shop? Well, there's two factors. So you've got the cost of water, and then we had the dairy industry went down the gurgler there a while ago. Yep. So we had the price of milk wasn't enough, and the water cost was just exorbitant. In 2019, water in our region jumped 420% yep. from $240 a megalitre to 1150 Now, consensus is that anything over 350 bucks a meg is actually not even viable for stock and domestic. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've got Helen Dalton here. Uh, maybe we'll get some sense out of all of this with Helen. You know, Helen's fighting for water rights, uh, cheaper water in in areas of rural um, and regional New South Wales. Luke, so you say seven, 67 dairy farms used to flourish in the region. Now we're down to how many? Seven with another one closing in the next couple of months. Right, so there'll be and, six. And keep in mind, hmm. they're not just farms closing. Every farm, like a farm might turn over $2 million and, and keep 150000 out of that $2 million. So oh. all that gets spent in the community. You know, yeah. like they're paying labour, they're paying for fertiliser, they're paying for fuel, they're paying for mechanics, they're getting people out to fix the dairy. So you've got a, so much money that they spend in the community. And generally speaking, everything I've, I've read and, and heard, the income from one farm circulates around the community 10 times before it leaves. Yes. Now... We've got banks that are closing. We've only got one bank left in the next couple of months, and it's only open from 10 a.m. till 12.30. Now, so for two and, a half closing, hour, two and a half hours a day? Yep. Really? Now, so, banks are closing. That's, that's, something, that's saying something about your town, isn't it? It is, mate. So uh, just remind me again, where, where are you? Kahuna, spelt with a C, C-O-H-U-N-A. All right, mate. Thank you for letting us know, and I appreciate your call. All righty? Thanks for having me on, Mark. All right, mate. Yeah, so that was Luke, uh, one of my uh, farmers that ring the program quite often. Uh, I spoke to Helen Dalton as well, just on what's going on with the Murray-Darling Basin plan and how it's leaving uh, farmers, dairy farmers or otherwise, shortchanged on water. If you want to listen back to my chat with Helen, uh, just go to 2smsupernetwork.com and, and click on our show page, hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning, and this podcast is a video, actually. Helen was in the, prog- in the studio yesterday when we discussed these issues. It's something that needs to be continually spoken about. Uh, you know, we're talking about one of the food bowls of Australia. Uh, it'll come to the point, and I had somebody mention this the other day, and I think it I might have been in that segment there with Luke. There'll come a time when we will get to the point where we'll import milk to our own country. There'll come a time, and it's not too far away, according to people who've been in contact with my program, because governments just aren't supporting our agricultural sector as they should be, and they're making it hard, particularly the nationals. 
I've got a little segment I'll play on the program this morning that talked about Watergate and how Barnaby Joyce wasted literally tens of millions of Australian taxpayer dollars buying up water and then flogging it off for next to nothing. Oh, by the way, to a Liberal Party donor. Just thought I'd throw that in for a little spice, but it's true. It's true. This is a bloke who was the water envoy, was paid some 680 thousand dollars a year to be so, and how did he report his findings on water in Australia? Via text to the Prime Minister. Yep. Cool and normal, I think is the term I'm looking for. Well, it's not, and farming communities around Australia have had about a gutful of it, in particular along the Murray-Darling Basin. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Stop with all the BS spin from the Prime Minister down whenever there's an issue uh, relating to the inappropriate spending of public money or something they don't like hearing any criticism. Oh, it's the politics of envy. The Mayor of the Blue Mountains, Mark Greenhill. Why did they ring us and approach us and ask us to apply? And why, during all the follow-up conversations, did this criteria never get mentioned? We were surrounded on three sides by fire. Yep. Homes were lost in our community. 70% of our world heritage area destroyed. Our tourism economy brought to its knees. We put in 24 grant applications for $5.4 million and received not one cent. It's hard to understand. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, give us a call. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Richo, are you there, mate? Uh, yes, Marcus, how are you this morning? Not bad, Richo. What's on your mind? Oh, I'm just trying to think. Do you reckon John's having the day off because um, he's still trying to get over having um, Kyle on the show yesterday? <laughs> I heard that. It was wonderful. Great radio. Oh, well, I'll tell you what my biggest problem was. I was checking my cattle and um, oh, I had to hurry along, but I couldn't get out of the truck because I was too hitched on it. Well, that's the point. And absolutely, uh, two of the very best. <laughs> Dueling golden microphones it was yesterday. And No, absolutely. Uh, I'll give you the tip. I reckon, uh, and I know we'd love to have him here, here at the Super Radio Network. Um, watch this space. Oh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Watch this space. Uh, so, okay. look, I've got, there's an open invitation uh, for Mr. Kyle Sandlins to come and join us here at 2SM when he wants to stop playing, you know, with the kids and the, the pop music and all the rest of it. Yeah, but no, it's just marvellous having the paradox and how... Poor old Kyle was bagging out John for his listeners, and John was bagging out Kyle for his listeners. It's Although, all I must fun. Say, yeah, well, that's right. I mean, I must say, I did try and call up yesterday and suggest to one of the handmaidens, I was just like, why don't you just play Twi- Twisted Sisters? We're not going to take it and bend this. <laughs> Very good. Oh, poor fella. All right. Oh, look, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Where about are you from, Richo? Oh, we're from um, Hanani, actually. Okay. God's country. God's country? Okay, please excuse my ignorance. In what region is Hanani? All right, so basically if you know Coffs Harbour and you know oh, yeah. Armadale, it's basically smack bang in the middle. Oh, beautiful. Nice and green yep. up there at the moment? Oh, too much grass and not enough cattle. Oh, but that's a good thing in a way, isn't it? Oh, yeah, well, that's right. I mean, look, it's not cheap to necessarily buy in yeah. at the moment. But It'd be better, anyway. it better than the alternate, you know, too much cattle and not enough grass. 
Yeah, well, that's right. And, you know, you sort of got to give the land a bit of a break. And what's mm. more, it's um, just sort of um, grow a bit more organic matter, I look at it as. All right, buddy. <laughs> look after no, yourself, uh, Richo. No, absolutely. And, hey, you also do a really good job filling in for um, John, too, there, Marcus. I always enjoy hearing you, too, mate. Well, he's top shelf. Um, at the moment, I'm still a frozen Coke can in the back of a fridge, but hopefully I'll thaw out one day. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> too easy, man. See ya. See ya. Bye-bye. Mary, hello. Oh, hello. Is that you, Marcus? It is, Mary. How are you? Good, thank you very much. I love your program, and you're killing them. Uh, killing, you know, who down the road. <laughs> anyway, we'll just Absolutely. do our thing, Mary. We'll do our thing. What's on your mind, Al? Look, I'm just wondering, can you please tell me uh, why Uber only plays 8 million tax when they make 764 million? Because they're tax avoiders. They're a foreign multinational corporation and uh, I'm sorry, but our Prime Minister doesn't have the backbone to put his foot down and ensure they pay the adequate amount of tax. That's right. And you know how you're saying there's so much traffic? Mm. It's not people in their cars. It's, it's the Uber ride sharers that have uh, congested all the roads. There's millions of them. Is there, I don't and, know about millions. I know there's a lot. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 40 million in the world. So <laughs> I'm not sure how many there are in Australia, but there's a lot. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder yeah. if there is as many Uber drivers uh, using, you know, under the rideshare services, there are taxi drivers. So if you're a taxi driver, let yeah. us know. What's the state of the industry these days? Because remember the kerfuffle when Uber first hit the market? There was concerns that those with taxi plates were going to suffer. Uh, basically, they were almost worthless now that we'd opened up the market. And we were always going to have to, unfortunately, because things change and things move on. Uh, yeah. I don't have a problem with Uber per se. I do have an issue, though, with some of the drivers because, I've got to be honest with you, some of them haven't got a clue what they're doing. That, that's true because they're not professional drivers like taxi drivers. They've done the course. And plus the fact that Baird allowed them hmm. allowed them to, to, to operate in Sydney, New South Wales, without being legal. And that's another matter. And also, yep. uh, if you've got Gladys on your program... Unlikely. Uh, and she, could you ask her where the $100 million is that was supposed to go to the taxi industry? I'd love to. Gladys, we'll try yeah, and get her on, OK? It's, it's gone missing, $100 Because you know when you get into a, a, a taxi or a rideshare, you have to pay $1.10? Yes. Well, well the $100 of that is missing. All right. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. And, uh, you know, there has... Uh, let me make this uh, quite plain to you, uh, Marcus. Uh, there's never been a character like me uh, in terms of charisma. <laughs> Marcus, Paul in the morning. What about Alba? No? Uh, look, my chat with Anthony Albanese will be available up online to smsupernetwork.com in the next hour or so. If you want to have a listen to what the opposition leader had to say this morning, I think it was one of his first radio chats since his first policy announcement yesterday. He, uh, he called into the program from Queensland. Um, was interesting, absolutely. Um, and we'll have a, a link up to that podcast to smsupernetwork.com uh, to get onto my page.
Well, New South Wales and the pork barrelling continues. A council twice unsuccessfully sought government funding for a regional skydiving and adventure sports facility before it was eventually awarded $11 million from a bushfire economic relief fund. The funding for the Maclay Valley Skydiving Adventure Park was announced by the state uh, government, the Nationals in fact, back in October of last year under a fast-tracked $177 million state and federal bushfire local economy recovery fund, which we know is now right at the very heart and centre of an inquiry into government grants, (laughs) hash, rorting. Months before the state's bushfires, the council released the Maclay Valley Coast Destination Plan. That was back in July 2019, which identified the Adventure Park as a quote-unquote game-changer project and outlined a plan to leverage the New South Wales government support for adventure sports tourism. Now, the council in December applied for the federal government's Better Building Regions Fund grant program, which was rejected in May 2020, having fallen short of co-contribution criteria. Now, in July 2019, the Council also submitted a grant application to the New South Wales Government's Growing Local Economies Fund, which was subsequently suspended. So what's happened now? Well, they've been given $11 million in funding from another application, their third, which was announced late in October, but this time around... They get the $11 million from money that was supposed to go to bushfire-affected communities. Now, I'm not against the Maclay Valley getting money for a skydiving adventure park. I know it will create upwards of 60-odd jobs, but that's not what the money was for. And again, the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, who has defiantly declared that pork barrelling isn't illegal amid accusations she's used taxpayer funds to buy an election. Again, obfuscation from her and also John Barillaro, who's the leader of the Nationals and the Deputy Premier in New South Wales. I mean, opposition MP and committee member, that's the committee that is looking into sports grants and funding and rorts and all the rest of it, I just call it pork barrelling. I know it's happened before, I get all of that, and I know Labor's done it in the past, but this is 2021. And in the past, in fairness, we haven't been dealing with bushfires and COVID-19 in the one year. I haven't got a problem with money going to Maclay Valley. I haven't got a problem going anywhere in New South Wales so long as it's done fair and equitably. So long as it's not just barreled into LNP seats, some of which... (laughs) Didn't see a flicker of bushfire. What about the central coast of New South Wales? What about the Blue Mountains in New South Wales? The Blue Mountains, I mean, it was <laughs> enclosed by bushfires, some of the biggest, from three sides. And they got zero zilch, no funding, under the $177 million State and Federal Bushfire Local Economic Recovery Fund. Why? Well, it's all normal. It's normal behaviour, said John Barillaro earlier this week. I mean, for goodness sake. Among allocated grants um, given under this bushfire, uh, $177 million bushfire grants, 
$3.6 million for an engineered coastal seawall in Nambucca. Not a problem. If you need a new seawall in Nambucca, that's fine. But again, where were the bushfires? $10 million to upgrade the Tumut Mill in the Snowy Valleys. Look, I understand and I get that there were fires in the Snowies. Absolutely they were. There were. Were they there in a Tumut Mill? I doubt it. Anyway, a Department of Regional New South Wales, New South Wales spokesperson said the skydiving centre was a priority project that would create economic stimulus for the community, which would create construction and service jobs. I have no doubt about that. But the question remains, and I think the Premier needs to answer this question, why was it given priority? I mean, this council up there was looking for funding for this brand new skydiving adventure park well before... The bushfires, well before the bushfires, before the firestorm of this time last year and a little earlier, you know, literally a year or so before they were looking for funding. Why did they get the money out of the bushfire recovery fund? Get in contact with Marcus anytime. Email us, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. All right, Pam is on the open line. Hello, Pam. Good morning. I just want to thank you for waking me up. I was sound asleep, and you woke me up going crook about the Uber drivers. Yes. Or the lady said something about the Uber drivers. Yeah. My son's an Uber driver. Right. And he loves it, and he gets a 10 out of 10 every day from his passengers. No, that's good. Uh, look, I'm not. I'm, I'm not against uh, the the system itself. I think it was a little unfair to introduce it uh, and have it operating at the expense of traditional transport um, modes like taxi operators. But I mean, we need to move on. Uh, I just I want to ensure that we're safe on our roads. The only concern, and obviously your son, Pam, you tell me, is a, a very good driver. But unfortunately, there are a lot of Uber drivers out there that aren't. No, well, he was retrenched from Telstra. Okay. And he had to get a job, and he got the job at, Tel- at uh, the Uber. Yep. And he hasn't looked back. It's the best job he's ever had. Well, that's good. good. Yeah, and well, thank you for waking me up because <laughs> I've got to see the doctor. you got to see the doctor. Are you okay, Pam? <laughs> well, clearly, yeah. I beg and your I'm- pardon? At 12.30, I've got to see my doctor, so I'm glad you woke me up. All right, well, that's good. Um, are you okay, though? Yes, I'm okay. I'm, um, I lost my husband 12 months ago. Oh, sweetie, I'm sorry. I never cried, but now I've got to go to the hospital yeah. just for a check-up. Mm. And I'm so happy because all the people on the radio, Marie, Gloria, they all ring up and check up on me, and I'm happy. Well, that's nice. That's nice. Pam, we are one big family here at the Super Radio Network, and I thank you for your call, and good luck at the doctor's day uh, today, and look after yourself, please. Breakfast with Marcus Paul. Please explain. explain. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. You there, Bob? Marcus, good morning. Hey, Bob. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Look, 
this 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 pork barrelling stuff they're going on with now. When when they pork barrel <laughs> and they use taxpayer dollar, yes, isn't that misappropriating mm. the, the, the the taxpayers' money? Well, I think it is, but not according to the government, and uh, probably not in fairness, probably not according to all politicians. Let's be honest; uh, they, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. They will try and use taxpayer dollars to get the advantage over whether it's Liberal or Labor opposition. They've all done yeah, it. Yeah. I understand that, Marcus. Yeah, but this 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 donated fire fire money was donated by the people for a specific purpose. Well, I now, don't if get not, the... If it's, not, if it's not general taxpayer money, that money they've, missed, they've taken has to be stolen money. Hang on, mate. I think you're getting a couple of things mixed up here. The money yeah, that yeah, was yeah. donated by Australians, whether it was through Celeste Barber or through other uh, charities, the Red Cross, etc., that's separate. What we're talking about here is taxpayer dollars. Uh, you know, it's taken out of consolidated revenue where the government, uh, upon budget time, decides to allocate certain amounts of money into different communities around the state. Now, my argument has always been that this money, which is taxpayer dollars that we've, you know, provided to the state government, uh, and yeah. it also includes GST, etc., all the consolidated yeah, yeah. revenue, what it should be, what should happen, Bob, I think in a democracy is this money should be allocated to all, all uh, electorates around the state, not just those that have voted for the incumbent government, whether they're Labor or Liberal. I don't care. Again, it's not politically uh, aligned. They've all done yeah, it. You did right, yeah. And we need to clamp down on it. So, so Marcus, what happened to the donated money uh, from okay. the bushfire appeals? Well, the $50-odd million that Celeste Barber raised, which was wonderful, that went to the Rural Fire Service, and they're using that uh, to buy new fire equipment, firefighting equipment. That was separate. That was the deal that was made. A lot of people yeah. were upset by that, but at least it's going to the Rural Fire Service. Yeah. Now, yeah, the that's charities, cool. that's a concern, and I think a, a very valid concern. A lot of charities who maybe you donated to the Red Cross, maybe you donated to the Salvos, etc. A lot of these charities, unfortunately, haven't spent the money appropriately. Yes, they've donated money here and there, and perhaps they've helped out a few families, but the argument is always with these charities, there needs to be possibly a lot more oversight and assurance that the money that we are giving doesn't stay in the charity's bank accounts, earning money isn't being paid to, you know, pay off exorbitant staff yeah, numbers. Exactly. I mean, it's yeah, either yeah. you're either a charity of which you pay no not. tax on or you're not. And that's the thing. When you are a registered tar- charity, you pay no tax. And a lot of uh, charities over bushfires and that period, a lot of them made a hell of a lot of money. Did all of it go to where it should have gone? I doubt it very much. Hello, Susan. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Marcus. How are you? Good, thank you, Susan. Thank you very much for taking my call. I'm sick of whinging about all the politicians and where the donations and all that sort of money went. I'd like to give you a little bit of a giggle today. Please. Now... (laughs) The Russian COVID vaccine, Sputnik V, is 98%. uh, uh, It it, uh, offers, guaranteed, 98% 
protection. Uh, do you think Alexei will be holding his arm out? <laughs> Alexei Navalyov? I don't know whether they're giving it to people in prison, <laughs> are they? <laughs> hey? Ta-ta. Thank you. Uh, that was it, short and sweet. Lovely. Ivana, are you there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Good, good, yes, good, I'm Ivana. Right. Hello, hello. Hello. How are you? Good. I haven't got long. What did you want to say, Ivana? No, no, I just got two things to tell you. One, uh, I'm so glad about politicians, you know, what they're doing, because I have said about that too, about politicians, and they say there's nothing wrong with the politicians. So thank you for, for that. That you bring up this about this person, that person. That's okay. Uh, your phone's a little dodgy there, Ivana. Um, for some reason, you keep dropping out. But okay, so you, you're happy that I'm calling out corrupt behaviour. That's what I do. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Now, because when I say, it, they say to me, "What are you talking about?" You know, the person mm. yes, uh, this morning finished. He told me. He said, "You, you just, you know, you are not worth talk coming on the radio and all this." And I just told him. I said, "You know what?" You have said some nasty thing about me, but I'm so glad you are talking about it because every time I hear about the Premier of New South Wales, what she has done, remember with uh, uh, Wagga Wagga story? Yep. What happened? Got away with it. And now you're talking about all this money. Oh, my God. I mean, what else they have to do to say, I'm, you know, I have to go or... The government will look into it. Well, you just watch this space and you stay listening because there's a hell of a lot more to come, Ivana. I can tell you, we've only, we're only scratching the surface. We've been asleep for way too long and it's high time politicians are held to account. Uh, Dr. Cassandra Goldie joins us. Good morning to you, Cassandra, and thank you for your time this morning. Cassandra, have you got me there? Yes, Marcus, good morning. Thank you for um, covering this really important a piece of work. Um, there's some pretty disturbing, you know, results in there, and we're very troubled by what we're predicting is happening for particularly private renters out there at the moment. Break it down for me. Uh, why? Yeah. Um, what are the major concerns from this new report? Well, uh, look, we know from this work that uh, probably about a quarter of people in private rental uh, took a hit to their incomes. They either lost their jobs or they went on to JobKeeper. Um, and those crucial job keeper and job seeker income support payments um, have been, you know, putting a floor under um, their incomes. But of course, those are about to end. And at the same time, last year again, governments did the right thing by stopping evictions from happening. But again, those eviction moratoriums are ending, and in New South Wales, they're ending at the end of March yeah. at exactly the same time as the government plans to end JobKeeper, and we still don't know about the future of JobSeeker. And so, on top of that, of course, um, for those people who are able to get a negotiation on their rent arrangements with their landlords. Um, We've got about 75,000 estimated private renters now with big rental debts because the landlord said, yep, you don't have to pay your rent, but you're just going to accumulate a debt and it will be payable at some point. And, um, of course, what's going to happen? How do people pay those debts if they're um, already still with very low incomes? And um, we will see a big increase in homelessness and we're very troubled by that. It's like a perfect storm, really, isn't mm. it? The end of mm. JobKeeper, the end of JobSeeker, the end of moratoriums on rent payments. People, as you say, have accrued rental debts. They'll need to be called in by homeowners who, in turn, are being called upon by their banks to start repaying their mortgages as per normal. 
well, this is this is it. I mean, we do know that there's kind of two stories here. There's a story for people who, you know, high incomes, um, you know, uh, uh, with sort of spare cash, right? And they've been, um, we know, people are either moving, you know, to uh, regional areas and pushing up rental prices and housing prices there, or they are buying extra investment properties because they've got very low interest rates and you've got spare cash. So, in fact, instead of housing prices going down, there's this upward pressure. Um, and so, if you're in the other world, the people we're talking about now who lost their jobs or are, you know, struggling to get back into paid work um, and they're in the rental situation, they're in real trouble. Mm. Um, and so, we've got to have the government focus on people most at risk here. Um, and there are things you could do about it. I mean, Marcus, really one of the extraordinary stories of last year terrible year in so many fronts was that we've effectively ended homelessness with um, state and territory governments housing about 40,000 people who were at that point homeless because of the pandemic risk and that was such a great story but what this report tells us Mm. is that now only about a third of those people secured longer term housing and we don't know what has happened to the other two thirds of those people. We're a, a pretty rich country. If we can house people during a pandemic, surely we can house people when times are good. Well, this is it. Um, we demonstrated what we're capable of doing when we're determined to do it. Um, and yes, it does require governments to invest more, but uh, gee, you know, the kind of investments we're after are all job creating markets, which is why it would mm. be such a great story if we did the right thing here. So there are three things we want the governments to do now. We want them to secure that permanent increase, particularly job seeker, um, to protect people on the very lowest incomes. That also creates a lot of jobs. Um, Secondly, we want a big investment into social housing, such a broad consensus, and dollar for dollar, really great in terms of job creation as well. We've had decades of failure to invest on that low-income housing side of things. And the third is we need a better balance when it comes to what happens about evictions. For too long in Australia, we've had this scenario, which is the eviction can just go ahead regardless of the circumstances. Now, the Victorian government during the pandemic did some reforms to rent uh, to evictions to say, at least we're going to make sure we've got a balance here between what's at stake for those losing housing and what's at stake for the homeowner, the land landlord. So that's, you know, something that we could do it now and really make sure that we just had a more humane approach and more balance to it. And, of course, government's plays a big role in protecting people at this time. Always good to have you on the program, uh, Doctor. Thank you very much, Marcus. Thank you. There she is, uh, Dr Cassandra Goldie from the Australian Council of Social Services. And some of those uh, figures are very, very concerning, no doubt. I mean, housing affordability, rent stress is a real issue. In all areas of Australia, in our big cities, in regional areas of the country as well. 16% of renters received a rent variation during the COVID-19 pandemic, although more suffered a loss of income. Where are those people? And of those who got a variation to their rent, for at least 30% of them, it was simply a deferral that now has to be paid back. In other words... Uh, You know, landlords have done the right thing. They've allowed renters who've maybe lost their jobs and have been forced onto job seeker payments to just pay a percentage of the rent that they had to pay while the pandemic was ongoing. 
Now, we know JobKeeper, JobSeeker payments are coming down at the end of next month. And also, the moratorium on rents is coming to an end. It will, no doubt, lead to, as I mentioned earlier, a perfect storm which will see plenty, unfortunately, plenty of more Australians undergoing further housing stress. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, look, um, unfortunately, um, he's called up. I was a bit worried about it. (laughs) Okay, let's get it over with, Ralph. (laughs) Uh, Look, Marcus, look, no need to be afraid of me, mate. You're a really good bloke. No hard feelings, and I love you. And, you know, uh, I've rung up to talk about where the love is, and I forgive you for shooting me with a gun from the Animal Justice Party. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no hard feelings at all because Satan would have done the same thing, and I fully understand. And Satan would have sent an email also to say, Marcus, this is Satan. Ralph is a nut job. Satan would have done the same thing. So I forgive you, mate. There's no hard feelings at all. I love you. Well, there we go. I wasn't expecting that, Ralph. Yeah, and you're really good at doing radio, mate. You know, there's a lot of things you say on the radio I agree with. It's just that, you know... I can't ring up. I can't ring up um, all the time during the week, so I only get about one or two calls. Or I mean, you were really good. You gave me about four calls that week, so because I rang you at your show twice, yes, and uh, twice, at least twice after afterwards on the John Lewis Morning Show, mm. and you're really good. And towards the end of the show, you were really getting with it, and the, and the whole audience was right with you with all the fun. You know, it's all in fun. Well, absolutely it is, uh, and it's yeah. a radio program, and, um, you know, I, I try to, to incorporate people like you who have views that maybe I don't necessarily agree with into the program, and, and again, if there's any back and forth afterwards, it's, you know, no surnames, no pack drills, it's a radio program, I want people to get involved and have their say, and look, Ralph, um, you do call all the time, and to your credit, you stand by what you believe in, and, and this I can't you know, fault you for that. Yeah, thanks for that, mate. And, right. and I can't fault you for, for doing your job. And, um, you know, God basically says too, you know, don't visit your neighbour too often unless you get sick of you. So I fully understand that. You know, I've I got to uh, understand where God's coming from with this too. All right, mate. <laughs> Thank you very much. You have a good day. Look after yourself. You too, mate. God bless you and I love you. God bless you, Ralph. Marie, good morning. Good morning, young man, and to all your listeners out there. The only country I've got is this one, and we've had it good for so long. Yesterday, you had a brilliant lot of people on talking about, you know, what we could do and what we couldn't do, Helen Dalton, for instance, and you also mentioned about the breakdown in law and order. With all due respect to Anthony, I was wondering, did he take his rose-coloured glasses? Did he have them on? When he went up there, he was telling you how wonderful everything was. I was wondering, did he speak to the farmers? And just briefly, Marcus, if we can put a billion dollars on the table in Paris, why can't we do it for our farmers? Oh, that's a very good point. All right, Marie, thank you. My chat with Anthony Albanese, by the way, will be up on the 2SM Super Network site a little later this morning if you want to have a listen back to it. Hello, Scott, are you there? Hi, Marcus. How's things? All right, mate? All right, thank you. Scott, what's on your mind? 
Uh, I was just listening to the, the lady's name, but uh, talking about the housing crisis. Uh, Cassandra Goldie, doctor from, yeah. Uh, yeah, yep. It's just a really, it's really important to get this out in the open now because, you know, I'm up here in the Northern Rivers and there's many, many people that have lived here all their lives that have been evicted because the landlord is allowing, you know, get, getting rid of them and having their kids in their house because, you know, the kids can't afford to rent in their own area. Yes. The prices, so many people, you know, from Sydney and Melbourne, you know, they're cashed up and they realise they can work from home since COVID. They're all moving up here. And the prices, of course, supply and demand, it goes up. So that means locals on a smaller wage can't afford to rent here. And yep. generally, the, the landlord prefer someone that's cashed up. And I don't blame them because they, they normally pay, you know, six months in advance or a year in advance. That's what they're mm. offering um, the real estate. Exactly. And, and you know... um in this area, there were 100 rentals available and 4,000 applicants. And yesterday, I, I wanted to go for a house near Lismore. And the lady, the, the real estate agent said, oh, there's already 200 people going for it. And How she many? says, oh, 200. <sighs> and she says, only the first 10 people that email um, inquiring about it will actually get to have a look at it. And I just said, you're only going to allow the first 10 people that email to go in and inspect the house. She goes, that's right. And I said, well, how's that? I said, how's that fair? I said, that's only 10 people. I said, what chance of people that have been living here, here their whole lives going to get, you know, getting a rental? And she decided, oh, because of COVID, we can only let in so many people at one time. And I just said, listen, wherever there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, of course. You can that's have rubbish. the inspection time open longer. Yeah. And she goes, well, what's the point? You know, we have 10 people and um, we bring it down to eight applicants and we and we look at that. And I, I, I just, I was kind of, I wasn't that, She's probably being told what to do by a boss, but mm. the fact is many people have no chance of getting a rental in this area, and, and many areas up the New South Wales coast, I've noticed. Um, it, 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 there is a housing crisis. There is no doubt about it, and prices are going up. And I, I'll tell you something now. You just watch rural New South Wales and rural Victoria, where I'm from, how many people move up from Melbourne and Sydney. I've got nothing against them. You know, they, they've, they've, they've got every right to live here, and I don't blame them for moving. Well, we're already uh, starting to see it. We, we're already seeing it, Scott. I mean, there's been some movement um, of people leaving places like Sydney in particular and travelling to regional areas to resettle because of the pandemic and because, absolutely. yeah, well. I just have a look at my old house near Myrtleford, um, Near Wangaratta, they had 80 applicants, and a majority are from Melbourne because I'm friends with a real estate agent there. Yeah. So there's, there's, there is this very, very, um, it's extremely competitive. And I want to say to people as well, if you're planning on moving up to rural Australia, seriously, make sure you have a house because <laughs> you might not get one. Very true. All right, mate. Well, thank you for that insight. I appreciate it, Scott. Best of luck to you, mate. You too. Thank you. All right, mate. Bye-bye. Gary, are you there? Hello. Good day there. How are you, pal? I'm well, thank you, pal. What's on your mind, Gary? Sorry. Yeah, look, mate, I just want to say that you're doing a marvellous job. I think uh, you. you should have the gig. John Law's not a bad, not a bad uh, <laughs> anyway, let's, let's leave that aside. Can we, uh, right. you wanted to talk about Uber driving. What's the story well, there? I wanted, to, I wanted to educate you a little bit about Uber driving. Uber sure. has created millions of jobs. Uber is much, much more safer than taxis because you've got to book online or on the phone. So the passenger is known to the driver and the driver is known to the passenger. So it's much, much more safer than taxis. 
and it's much, much more cheaper, and it's created a lot of, lot of work for a lot of elderly people. So you should do your homework when you want to try and bottom, mate. You know what I mean? No, okay, fair enough. That's I what just, I want to tell you. Yeah, but all yeah, I said, on. hang on, all I said was that there are yeah. a number of Uber drivers. Uh, and where, I, where, where? In where? Sydney, I've, I, I, I've I, seen plenty of them. I've nearly hit a few of them when they come to... Hang on, hang on a minute. Hang on, Gary. I'll let you have your say. Well, all I said was there are a number of Uber drivers who, in my opinion, don't belong on the roads. I've nearly hit quite a few of them as they come to an abrupt stop because they need to check out the screen in front of them for their next job. I get that. And I'm sorry to say that the industry has attracted people who are not professional drivers, who are not good at navigating busy roads in some of our busiest cities. Uh, that's my opinion, Gary, and you disagree. That's fine. Hey, look, can I just say something? Hold on. Of course you can. Okay, okay. How many elderly people you reckon are driving Uber now that couldn't get a job, a million to one and drifting to try and get a job in Woolworths or Coles because they're too old, and they've got a job, they've got a gig now, and it's keeping them sane. And I know a lot of my friends are doing it, and they're going, you know what, it's better than doing nothing. I and agree, I agree with millions that. Millions and millions of jobs. You're worried about when the when the people aren't going to be able to pay their rent and get kicked out. This is the only thing that'll keep them in survival mode. I think it's the best thing since sliced bread. The greedy taxi drivers that were trying to charge four and 500000 for their licences, some of them made 50 of them and 100 of them, Bad luck for them, mate, right? And they were arrogant. You couldn't get one. They were unwashed. Mate, Uber's much, much safer than taxis, believe it or not. Trust me. That's all I wanted to say, uh, Marcus. All right, mate. You've had your say. Uh, and you've left me in no doubt uh, how you feel. And that's your prerogative. I just disagree. <laughs> Brian, are you there? Uh, yes, Marcus. How are you? Good. Thanks for holding on, Brian. I know it's been a little while. Uh, what did you oh, want to talk uh, about? Mate, it's a great forum. Love it, what you do. Thank you. Uh, and you do it very well. Now, you're talking about charities. Uh, a couple of things, points I want to raise. We need to look seriously at the definition of a charity and stick with it. Uh, most charities are run as a business. As you're aware, it's something like about 8% is all that needs to find its way back to the charity, and the other 92% is gobbled up in so-called administration and all this. So they're not value for money. Um, to get a tax concession for the net result is a little bit of an insult. And I was thinking maybe if we had like a GoFundMe account run by the banks or held by the banks with an appropriate couple of, say, retired bankers from these banks to run it. They make big profits. They can afford to put a little bit of charitable time and effort and a little bit of expense of their own in because they're making massive money. We know that. I'm not knocking them for that. That's just the way it is. Yeah. But the number of employees, the business expenses, the total wages, if they are audited charities on a regular basis, I'll see, look, this is really a business registered as charity, getting tax concessions and the, and the like. And I think we've got to get fair income, stop having all these little fringe things going on and people turning a blind eye. Get it right, get it fair income, and the money finds its way to the right source. And like I was saying, a GoFundMe type account, but if we've got a bank and the right people are looking after it, we can help these people more. It could be also used as a... That people can apply and come in and be interviewed for a... They need a, an amount of money for rent assistance, you sure. know, like 
yep. and given to them, not have to re- repay it back. There's a lot more good that can come out of a different kind of system run in a more volunteer type of way to give back to society. And not everything's about... I'm not, I'm not a communist, I'm not a socialist, I'm a realist. Um, uh, you've got to give back. You can't keep taking all the time. All right, mate. Well said. Well said, okay. Brian. I appreciate right. it. Thank you, mate. Thank, thank you for giving me that few moments anyway. It's my pleasure. That's what the open line is for. If you want to have your say, just like Brian and other callers this morning, one three hundred five six four six five two is the telephone number. Uh, we'll check on some emails in just a few moments as well. The Fortress at johnlaws.com.au are for those. All right, Marcus Paul in the morning for Lawsy. He's hopefully back on deck and fighting fit tomorrow. Uh, boy, oh boy. Um, the text number, 0458 049 209. It really attracts the trolls, as John says. A lot of nasty comments here this morning, and a few directed at me. That's okay. Ah, the boy voice is back. Boring. All right. Sorry about that. Um, you can't compare my voice to a bloke that's, you know, was born with golden tonsils and has been at the forefront of Australian radio for, what, 70 years nearly, for goodness sake. Anyway, I'm sorry I have a boy voice. I do try my best. Um, Marcus, thank the devil you are on. Hopefully Ralph and Leone will not ring as religion belongs in the church. Well, Ralph did ring, but we kind of made up. Which was nice, I thought. Okay, thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. Uh, Matt from Eldersley. I know he listens regularly to the Super Network. Matt, thank you for your note. Uh, morning, Marcus. Did John turn one too many wild turkeys over with Kyle yesterday after the program? I'm not sure. Maybe they did go out for lunch. I hope they did. I really hope they did. And I noticed that there's some negativity and some nasty comments coming through too on the. Uh, on the text line here about that segment yesterday, some saying that John behaved badly and differently in front of Kyle, and I hated that segment with John and Kyle. He's crass, loud and rude, and if he joined to us, then I'd never listen again. Well, I'm telling you right now, um, Kyle will go to talk. Once he's finished playing with the kids on FM, he'll go to talk and he'll be brilliant. He really will be brilliant. Uh, and I'm sorry if, you know, some of the content and some of the discussion yesterday offended people or upset people. But, you know, it's a big world. It's a big, big world. And we need to hear. And uh, I think commercial talk radio in Australia needs to hear younger voices and different opinions. For so long, as I keep mentioning to those that keep trolling me on my own program or my own page. You know, we're running uh, radio stations around Australia trying to do talk radio that traditionally has just had, you know, two or three voices that are sprouting the LNP line or supporting one party over another, etc. Well, times will change. Times have to change. And thank God they are. And just because somebody like me in particular calls out government corruption, wants better expenditure of, you know, or better use of taxpayer dollars, maybe cares a little bit about the environment, If you want to call me a lefty, that's fine. I don't really care. You can call me whatever you like. If you don't like the program, don't listen. But uh, one thing that both men and two brilliant broadcasters in my mind did do yesterday was make some very valid points 
on people who really should know better trolling and being nasty to us on the radio. Why? What's the point? If you don't like it, don't listen. So many people take so much time out of their day and go to such great lengths to send nasty notes and messages. And as Kyle and John said yesterday, why do you bother? Honestly, why do you bother? But thank you uh, for all of those that have sent uh, us notes here at the Super Radio Network, in particular here at the Fortress in 2SM at Sydney, in Sydney uh, for yesterday's broadcast with Lawsy and Kyle. I thought, I thought it, me for one, I thought it was great radio and I'd love to hear much, much more of it. All right, well, we heard from an Uber driver. It's only fair now we talk about taxi drivers. Bernard, are you there? Yeah, mate. Hello, Bernard. I had two comments for you. One about uh, taxi drivers. Yeah. yeah I got a um, taxi. Uh, had a taxi driver tell me about the sort of like the increases. You know, when the price goes up. Yeah. You know how they lose customers initially. Yeah. But then the sort of uh, the disabled etc. that actually rely on taxis eventually forced to come back anyway. Yes. You know, which sounded a little bit callous to me. I did have a comment about. Um, um, Another. Well, well, I'd love to hear it, mate. Whatever you want to say, burn it (laughs) off you go, mate. I I, I think the guy talking about elderly Uber drivers melted my brain. (laughs) I can't remember what it was uh, about. Just prior to his comments, what was the conversation about? Oh, that's a good question. I've been I've been okay. I've been on air now for I don't know five and a half hours. I can't remember five minutes ago, uh, let alone ten oh, fifteen yeah, ago. Your, um, your manager suggested that I ask you to remember. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Look, uh, ultimately, what's your view on it? Uh, do you would are you uh, are you a part of the taxi industry or are you, are you an Uber oh, driver? No, no, I'm no? Not, not with either. Okay. Um, I'm I'm fine with it. I don't like all the money going, profits going off. Sure, but um, you know, um, what can you do about it? Uh, I don't like this water business that you were talking about earlier. Mm. Uh, technically, because I'm a rainmaker. Yeah. Um, but that's only for John Laws. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, he's still a skeptic about it, but um, sort of like I've tried to, uh, you know, somebody called up for rain and I was listening. I'd I'd send it to him. And likewise, if they complained about the rain, I'd send it away. All right. Well, Bernard, uh, let me just say on behalf of farmers across the state of New South Wales, thank you. Uh, Because if you have been sending rain, there's been a fair bit of it of late and and things are looking pretty good for a bumper harvest in most areas. So thank you, mate. I appreciate your call. 13 12 69, the telephone number. What about this yesterday? Do party political logos have a place on Australian government announcements? I say they don't. The Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, has proven himself to be a a pretty calm and competent pair of hands during the coronavirus pandemic. But he is rightly facing questions over the use of the Liberal Party logo attached to a government announcement about COVID vaccines. Maybe Mr Hunt needs to be reminded, along with his federal colleagues, that the six billion, will it be six billion, Dollars we're spending on these vaccines is not Liberal Party money. Okay, it's taxpayers' money, and we don't need Liberal Party logos scrawled all over the announcement. Now, Mr. Hunt further inflamed the situation after he was asked about the use of the logo uh, by ABC presenter Michael Rowland yesterday, and and then he kind of lost it 
Greg Hunt. And I think he lost um, a little bit of credibility with this rant. Here we go. I'll play it for you so we can hear exactly what went down yesterday. If you haven't heard it already, I found it very interesting. I also uh, found it, to be honest, a little childish from Greg Hunt in particular. When you announced the very welcome 10 million additional doses of Pfizer on your social media channels last week, why did you feel the need to attach a Liberal Party logo to an Australian government announcement? Well, in fact, we made the Australian government announcement as the government um, with the Prime Minister. Mm. But, but I'm I was asking elected. about why the Liberal Michael, Party logo was I know you have there. strong views. I, I'm not having... No, I've just, I just, respect, I'm I will asking answer, why. I'll finish, I'll finish if you let me. Uh, because we predicted that you seem to be the most exercised of any person in the Australian media about this. So uh, I was elected uh, under that banner. Uh, multiple uh, members from across multiple parties do that. I'm a very proud member of uh, that party with a great heritage and tradition in Australia and uh, that's part of the Australian democratic process. So uh, overwhelmingly we do these things as the Australian government on a a particular channel. There's no problem uh, with identifying entirely appropriately within the rules the origins and heritage of that uh, that banner under which we were elected by the Uh, Australian government. It's an Australian government announcement. Who, Who paid for the vaccines? Well, uh, let us draw a clear distinction here. I know this is an issue for you. In many ways, uh, you identify with the left. You do this a lot, and, and I respect no, that. Minister, no, Minister, um, no, no, no. You're I, I, open I about that, and, no, and that's I, I, entirely I find, a matter No, I find that offensive. I'm asking you. Oh, I'm, come I'm on, exercised Michael. about what's There's what's, nobody what's who's right watching who doesn't identify you with the left. I'm and, exercised. And you should be open about that. I'm open about my origins, uh, and, in fact, I ran as an elected representative, and there are numerous other examples uh, across a variety of parties. It's important for you to be honest about your position and your origins. Uh, I'm honest about my position. And my- oh, please. It would be very inappropriate to, to use Lawsy's gun to shoot the health minister. I'm not about to do that, but come on. Why is it? Why is it? Under Scott Morrison, when ministers are asked about awkward questions. They invariably reject the premise of the question, either call it fake news, conjecture, or a Canberra bubble question, or, you know, they kind of obfuscate as best they can. And in this case, we've got the Federal Health Minister playing politics again, accusing a presenter from the ABC of being a lefty. It's distraction. I mean, usually what happens after this, uh, these MPs abruptly scurry away, smirking. The Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, has long taken pride in his skill in deflecting questions about ministerial accountability. For instance, when the sports fraud scandal was in full swing last year, a video emerging of him being thanked by a yacht club in his electorate for quote-unquote working behind the scenes to secure them a grant Hunt badly denied, or baldly rather, denied his actions were in any way improper. And when the interviewer attempted to follow up with another question, Mr Hunt simply spoke over him and filibustered for around two or three minutes until the ABC had to end the interview. A little like Scott Morrison did the other day with John Laws. If you feel you've got something to say
Hi, Dennis. How are you, mate? Yeah. Ah, good morning, Marcus. Look, did you happen to watch um, Christina Keneally on uh, Meet the Press yesterday? Oh, I, or the miss, day before? I missed that, but I oh. had caught up with a, a few reports on it, yes. Yeah, well, listen, mm. when you get a chance, watch the replay. It's worth every penny. She she really gave it to uh, Morrison uh, about uh, him not being held accountable, and she had all the ammunition, you know, the RoboDebt Sports Rorts, and uh, given out uh, uh, contracts where no tenders were called, you know, the, the Royal Commission report in, in, in aged care, how it was federally funded system and it collapsed, and the, and the criminality and the jobs for the boys. And, mate, you, you've got... Promise me you'll watch it. I will, uh, and that's her job, Christina Keneally. Yep. I heard, um, you know, I, look, again, people will criticise Christina, They'll, and I've heard mm. the commentary, um, those people out there saying that she's in it for herself. Uh, she's not, you know, she's going to remain in the Senate, of mm. course, where she's safe and all the rest she, of it. But she's playing a role for, you know, yes. for better or worse, she's playing a role for Anthony Albanese as uh, Labor's yes. attack dog. So we'll hear more yeah. and more of her attacks against um, the federal government leading up to the election, whether it's later this year or early next year. Good on you, mate. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, Christina Keneally is a very very canny operator and I think um, (laughs) I didn't really like her much as Premier of New South Wales but I think she does a pretty good job I have to say in the Senate when it comes to holding governments to account and that's what we want again whether you're blue red or whatever green whatever you know if there's misappropriation of public money whether it's sports rorts and other pork barrelling then I think it needs to be called out. And Christina Keneally is the person to do that. Hello, George. Are you there, mate? Yes, I am. Hello, George. What's on your mind? I heard your comments earlier on um, with reference to the milk industry and how it might actually be going down the tubes. Well, there's little doubt that it has gone down the tubes because uh, in some areas, and I hear all the time from regional New South Wales on stations that I broadcast to, that dairy farms are falling by the wayside. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it brought to mind something that I recalled um, oh, when I was back in college. Back in the 80s, uh, no, yep. it, it, it occurred in Jamaica. The Jamaican uh, milk industry was decimated by importing um, powdered milk. And it absolutely, utterly decimated the milk industry in Jamaica and destroyed dairy farmers' livelihoods entirely. Well, and the- consequently, their economy started to go. And it was because of it was, it was a clause the World Bank put on them when they were looking for a loan that they must remove the tariffs on the powdered milk. And yeah. so I started to wonder, well, when and how have governments suddenly changed? Because governments, in my view, are supposed to stand behind society and be the support for society that will generate the economy and put in place rules, regulations, everything else, that supports the economy generated by that society, not reach over the, the society and inhibit and put in place deals that are going to weaken and, and erode. Well, our poor farmers, I'm sorry to say, and I know I'll upset people up in the New England, um, those who are in love with Barnaby Beetroot Joyce, I mean, our poor farmers have had it with both barrels. Not only do they have a federal government 
and some state governments that don't support them in relation to, you know, water theft and uh, mismanagement of systems like the Murray-Darling Basin. But, of course, they've allowed big business to effectively run small farming operators out of town. Why? You know, we go back to the whole dollar a milk, a dollar a litre of milk scenario. Should never have been allowed to happen. Most Australians will buy fresh Australian milk no matter what the cost. I mean, obviously it needs to be uh, within reason. But if it means we pay an extra 15, 20, 25 cents a litre for our milk, whatever it ends up being, if it keeps Australian farmers operating, well then we'll pay it. But the dollar a milk situation which saw, you know, two massive conglomerates at each other's throats trying to increase their share within the market only led to the destruction of the dairy industry, or partially. That and the fact that what hope in hell have farming communities along the Murray-Darling Basin in particular have when we have a bloke that was a water envoy and a a nationals minister, and at one point, the deputy prime minister of this country, behaving in this manner. It'd be one thing if the Australian government paid 57 times the price they should have for water with your money going to a Cayman Islands company set up by another politician, and we at least got the water. It'd be another if we didn't. Because when Barnaby is confronted by this, you know what his response is? Those lefties. Oh, okay. Um, for some reason, that video has dropped out. All right. Um, look, George is still... Yeah, George is gone now. His line was terrible, wasn't it? Really was. I'll get back to that, uh, that piece that I was playing. I'm having trouble playing it. I need to take a break anyway. Marcus Paul in the morning. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, going to go to the news in just a couple of moments. Uh, one more hour of the program left this morning. Uh, if you want to give us a call, one three hundred five six four six five two to have your say. On the email, thefortress at johnlaws.com.au, Chris Jones says, Marcus, the ABC has become so left-leaning it's basically unwatchable. That Q&A program takes pride in stacking the panel with far-left-leaning individuals and then invites one con, one conservative onto the show, only to have the entire panel attack them for any opinion they have. I don't blame any liberal politician who becomes an arrogant person to ABC journalists. Yeah, all right. Well, have you ever watched Sky After Dark, Chris? Have you ever read a Murdoch rag? Remember back to the old headlines, kick this mob out, with a picture of a prime minister at the time, Kevin Rudd, dressed as a clown. Swings and roundabouts, Chris. Swings and roundabouts. Everyone that complains about the ABC and the fact that, okay, there's a different point of view out there, tends to forget that you've been force-fed bullshit from Murdoch for years. And I'm sorry, uh, there have been other commentators that once suggested we throw a Prime Minister into the sea in a chaff bag so she can swim back to shore. I've never heard that mentioned on the ABC. Swings and roundabouts, Chris. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. the telephone number if you would like to have your say. Marcus Paul in the morning.
All right, the last hour of the John Laws Morning Show. Lawsy hopefully fighting fit and back with us tomorrow. In the meantime, if you want to have your say, give it your best shot. one three hundred five six four six five two. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm getting uh, all sorts of abusive emails and notes here, and that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I stand by what I said. I'm sorry. Uh, if we had, you know, broadcasts over the years that had a good old crack at Labor when they were in power, and you can't handle it if someone, maybe a younger bloke, is having a crack at the current lot. Well, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. Have you say, Tony? Are you there, mate? Yes, I am. No, thanks for taking the call, Marcus. Love Pleasure. The show. Thank you. Yeah, you got to cop the criticism, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Listen, Fair uh, listen, just one thing. They've been talking a lot about Jamie Packer in the new casino. What wasn't the new casino only for international visitors? To my memory, or, or is that wrong? Uh, well, I don't think it was solely for international visitors. No doubt they would have been uh, hoping for the lucrative market of, uh, you know, the big rollers, the high-enders rolling in uh, yes. <laughs> to this new casino opening. Uh, it's it's a big mess, and I, I don't know. They need to do something uh, in order to fit the liquor and guy- uh, gaming requirements from the New South Wales government in order for them to open. Uh, look, I'm pretty sure they will, to be honest. I think they'll uh, they'll adhere to what they need to. They've spent too much money. I mean, that building, I'm not I mean, not in the habit of talking about casinos on air or promoting them because I think they're bad for Australians. Uh, yeah. That's my opinion because yeah. I'm not a gambler, but I understand a lot of people do it and they get enjoyment. And, uh, but the, uh, the building uh, that I can actually look out the window here, it's a, it's a magnificent magnificent piece of architecture and uh, I'm sure the uh, the rooms that you can hire out in the the new hotel will be first class and I know that upstairs where Mr Packer will live and other high enders will live, uh, you know, it's wonderful and it's great that it's caused uh, it's led to job creation all the rest of it, but they'll need to get their house in order if they want to, you know, let the roulette table swing Absolutely, I, I just wondered about that international thing might have been just a memory that I had that they originally spoke of, that's all. Yeah, look, I don't know, to be honest, a lot about it. Um, apart from the fact, you know, what I've um, discovered and read in recent days as to why they can't open as a casino, a, a casino and it's because of allegations that overseas this uh, Crown Resorts group were involved in, in some way, shape or form with money laundering. And that's the issue, and we don't want that kind of uh, organised criminal activity here in Australia. And until they clean up their backyard, so to speak, that's why the New South Wales government is gun-shy on allowing them to to operate as a fully-fledged casino like the Star. Anyway, thanks for taking the call. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Tony. You have a wonderful day. Thank you, mate. Rowan, are you there, Rowan? Hello, Rowan. Rowan from Beaumont Hills didn't hold on. All right, that's okay. 13, 12, 69. Uh, emails, there are a few coming through now at thefortressofjohnlaws.com.au. Marcus, did you know that Larry Flint's from Hustler magazine is dead? He had a heart attack. Mark from Maclay Island. Did he? Did he really? I haven't seen it pop up on the telly or haven't heard anything in the news. I'll, I'll have to confirm. Really? Didn't die on the job, did he? Um, Cheryl in Newcastle, 
Christina Keneally, Marcus, is simply a joke. Her performance in the Labor Party has been pathetic from way back when uh, she was Premier. Anthony Albanese is certainly scraping the bottom of the barrel if he thinks people will take any notice of her. Cheryl at Newcastle. I know, Cheryl. I know you're a fervent LNP supporter and you tend to overlook what's going on at the uh, both state and federal levels within the LNP government, but that's okay. That's your opinion. Uh, but I disagree strongly. Christina Keneally is not simply a joke. <laughs> she might have been. Uh, there may be a little bit of merit there as to her performance as New South Wales Premier, and some people say that, you know, she's only looking out for herself by staying in the Senate, etc., uh, but I disagree. She's quite effective when it comes to being an, a, an attack mouthpiece, if you like. It almost worked last election. Uh, the problem with the last time around, of course, I think that Bill Shorten showed his hand way too soon. Anyway, by the way, Albo was on uh, my brekkie program earlier this morning. We'll have a, a link up to a podcast if you want to listen back to that a little later on this morning. 13 12 69 is the telephone number to have you say. It's commonly known that the fish markets here in Piermont and Sydney markets in Flemington are hotspots for criminal activity. Police yesterday busted a truck driver at Flemington Fruit and Veggie Markets who had allegedly been supplying heroin cocaine and ice. Officers stopped his vehicle in Homebush and located $5,000 in cash. They executed a search warrant and the 56-year-old man's Greenacre home was raided where they seized designer items including Gucci and Louis Vuitton handbags. They also searched his Flemington produce warehouse and found prohibited drugs. Surprise, surprise. Police say they also arrested three other people in connection with the drug supply. Two men, aged 39 and 43, and a woman, aged 42, and they've all been charged with drugs offences. Seems like there's a big bug dr- uh, drug bust each and every day. I mean, just last week, there was a, mom- a monumental find in Perth. Police found more than 175 kilos of methamphetamine and $8 million in cash during three vehicle stops alone. It's a lot of meth and a lot of cash. Eight million bucks worth. It is disheartening and scary, quite frankly, that there's such a massive demand for drugs in our country, particularly the dreaded ice. 175 kilos of ice is enough to ruin thousands upon thousands of lives. Let's just hope our police can keep up with these crims. They do a tough job. And they do it damn well. Absolutely they do. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. So I'm not, you moron, from all of the texts and phone calls I get, Ralph, think you're an absolute nut job. Yeah, well, that's what Satan would say. And Satan wants to... Well, I got an email as well from Satan. He says exactly the same thing. Marcus, this is Satan. Ralph is a nut job. Yes, mate. I'd just like to bring to your attention that the more people that ring up and complain about you, the better, and we'll get you off the air. Oh, really? Thank you very much, mate. The only way to get through to some of you people, because... Some of you's people? people morons. Are... Well, you are a moron, Rob. And, um, mate, you um, be taken off the air. I'll be taken off the air. Why, Rob? Because then I wouldn't be able to have fun with complete knobs like you. We're bringing you all the news and the views. 
Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, all right, well, um, obviously I've made out with Ralph. I don't know about those other two. Probably a lost cause. Now, if you want to send me an SMS, 0458-049-209. Get off the grass, mate. You're just the same as the ABC interviewer. Greg Hunt is 100% correct. You're showing your true colours now. About time someone stood their ground against the ABC. Wake up, Marcus. Righto. This one as well. Speak softly, Marcus, and carry a big stick. You're way too aggressive. Okay. (laughs) My apologies. And this one, uh, Beth. G'day, Marcus. Could you please explain what Barnaby Joyce did in relation to the water and give a year, please? Uh, Yeah, I tried to play that audio before. I think we fixed the glitch now. Um, This was Watergate. And this shows in around about, I think, 75-odd seconds, the Watergate scandal that the member for New England was uh, involved in right up to his neck. It'd be one thing if the Australian government paid 57 times the price they should have for water with your money going to a Cayman Islands company set up by another politician and we at least got the water. It'd be another if we didn't. Because when Barnaby is confronted by this, you know what his response is? Those lefties wanted more water in the environment, so I bought it for 57 times the price that I should have. That's a bargain. But as Marion Slattery points out, the levy banks on the property we paid for the licences on are still there. So the water hasn't gone back into the environment. Plus there's no dam to store the water, so it can't be released strategically. And it's an overland flow licence, which means that when the water eventually leaves the property, it's gone. The Nationals donors can illegally suck it all up for free with no repercussions. So in short, the elected official bought water with taxpayer money from his mate, paid 57 times the price, then his mate never delivered the product. That's the level of corruption that is public surrounding water in this country. There's countless examples of water buybacks that are just like Watergate. Chris Corrigan, the guy famous for busting unions, got the same cosy treatment from Barnaby. To this day, Angus denies that he's involved with Eastern Australia agriculture. But I'd love to see the documents that absolve him of that. Yep, all right, well, that's just a little bit. uh, The full uh, video is up at... 2smsupernetwork.com on my page. Just follow the link there to Marcus Paul in the morning. And that's just a a wonderful example of some of the investigative work that's real journalism that mainstream outlets aren't following up on for whatever reason. I mean, we should all be concerned about it. We should all be concerned about it. Barnaby Joyce is a shonk. The bloke is an absolute shonk. He's as corrupt as they come. As water envoy, he earned nearly $700,000 a year and presented next to nothing in return to Australian taxpayers. And on top of that, during that period, he paid, as you quite clearly heard there, yes, uh, just there, from Jordan Shanks, friendly Jordan, as you quite, heardly, quite clearly heard that he paid $57 million of your money, my money, taxpayer money, for water that we never got. And it was over the top in pricing, and funnily enough, a little like the the land scandal out there at Badgerys Creek Airport, who made the money but a Liberal Party donor. Surprise, surprise. All right, um, this one from Lewis, who sent me an email, thefortress at johnlaws.com.au. Sorry, Marcus, I'm tired of Cheryl and her pro-right-wing sniping comments that have no substance. 
She has nothing on Christina Keneally, says Lewis. Hi, Marcus, you can't go wrong with telling the truth. Keep it up. Dennis. Oh, there's a big one here, Felix from Carrara. We might... Felix, that's a very long email. I'll try and get to that in just a couple of moments. Okay, 13 12 69, if you would like to have your say. Uh, I've got a caller waiting online there with no name. No name mentioned on the screen. Are we taking that call? Are we not taking that call? I'm not quite sure. I will take a break, though. This is Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, back to callers. Adam, are you there, mate? Ah, hey, Mark. It's great to hear from you again. Thank you. I just came to tell you a little joke. Now that we've got 24 cases, does this mean I don't have to open the borders? Oh, that phone, Adam. Uh, Just repeat that again. You're dropping out. Again, mate, please. Oh, oh, sorry. With the new 24 cases, days of no cases we've had, does this mean Mark McGowan now has to open the border to us in four days? Well, I hope he does. Oh, yeah. Or is he going to be like that song, Don't put love out on me, baby? My God. What the hell? (laughs) What? Adam. Well, I suppose it is 11, just after 11 in the morning. Never too early to start. Carl, are you there? Yeah, mate. How you going? Good, thanks. Marcus, you know this housing crisis? It's not... I live in Mossman in North Queensland, mate. It's I just had my house recently um, evaluated, yeah. and I can tell you firsthand by what a real estate agent said to me. People are buying properties, and I'm trying to move from here down to um, central Queensland. Right. And I've spoken to real estates down there, and they're telling me the same story. People are buying from down south, as in Victoria and New South Wales, yep. um, are buying unseen properties straight off the internet um, and just paying for them just they're not even bother coming up to have a look they're not doing and like in Yapoon where I'm trying to find the lady there told me there's at least 30 to 40 people looking at every house and if you don't have a job if you don't have you know good credentials you don't have a chance you don't have a chance market no well that's what I hear as well that's why we need to uh, do something to sort out uh, the housing crisis Uh, COVID has unfortunately only well look there are people who will take take advantage uh, where they market. can. And why is it, do you think, Carl, that during the COVID-19 pandemic, those with the most money, again, made the most money, the richest people in our country became even richer? Why? Yep, well, yep because they take advantage of the ones that don't. That's true, mate. That's true. That's what happens, and that's just the way society is. But seriously... When a real estate says to me, I can I can put a, a certain amount of money on my property, yep, and I just like, you know, it's a way and above what I would have thought it was worth. Yep. But you know, it's it's what the market's asking for, and yeah, it's it's wrong on a lot of levels. But and I feel sorry for a lot of people that are trying to find somewhere to live because yeah, it comes down to the real estate. You know, with all this COVID stuff, they don't want you going in the office anymore. Everything's got to be done over the internet. And then yeah, well, that's now an list. yeah, that's now an excuse. So don't be fooled by that. And well, Marcus, it's true, mate. It's oh, absolutely I know, absolutely, true. and it's unfortunate. But real yeah, estate mate. agents shouldn't be under the cover <laughs> of COVID taking advantage of people who are desperate for housing. Absolutely, thank you, mate. Appreciate the call, Carl. On the email, thefortressofjohnlaws.com.au. A couple of more uh, emails here. 
Rodney Dixon. Marcus, I was with Anthony Albanese um, in Cairns on Sunday. He's lost a lot of weight and he told me he's ready to win. His words, not mine. Mm. All right. Uh, This one from Dell, uh, Mr. Hunt. Mr. Hunt talked all over that journalist for the whole interview. It's a trick used by MPs of all persuasions, I guess. Time out comes up. They know it works. Keep talking till session time's out. Uh, He gave the journo two of the ten minutes time. Okay. Well, yes. Obsification. Distraction. Uh, If you can't answer the question, pick a fight, I guess. And that's exactly what... Minister Hunt did. I thought it was unprofessional, and we probably deserve better from our federal health minister. On housing, I see Bob says, Marcus, there was a great idea in the local paper. Many people can remember the Opera House lottery. Nine out of ten people don't go to the Opera House, but they were still happy to kick in some money out of their taxes for, you know, uh, for the lottery. The idea is a lottery to fund the building of social or welfare housing, and every cent of it goes to that cause. I hope you can help push this cause. Well, it all sounds very good in theory, Bob. Absolutely it does, and who knows, maybe that's the way of the future. I, I can't see it happening, though. Uh, Ray Johnson. Ray is not a fan. That's okay, Ray. Ray says, at it again. G'day, Marcus. Please don't forgive yourself for using offensive language, coupled with the terms you use quite frequently. I don't know, and I guess. They sum up your ability perfectly. (laughs) I guess. Or I don't know, Ray. Ray says he's on the beach at present enjoying his elitist life. Unfortunately, Mr Laws is absent and 2SM is the only connection available. Hurry back, Mr Laws. Regards, Ray RWBB. What the hell does that mean? Right wing. Oh, you're a right wing boomer, are you, Ray? (laughs) Oh, Ray. Surely you can just turn it off. Problem is you can't. That's the issue, Ray, and that's the issue with a lot of you narcs and whingers and complainers. I know you're listening to every single word. And I'm sorry about the language, Ray, but piss off.
Australian music. Sneaky sound system. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69, the telephone number. Um, Stefan, is it? Stefan? Yeah, mate. Hello, is it Stefan or Stefan? It's Stefan. Stefan. Ah, oh, lovely. Where uh, are you from, mate? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm uh, from Yugoslavia, Serbia. Ah, lovely. Okay. Uh, how long you been here, mate? I've uh, been here. We arrived here during uh, NATO bombing, so 99. So oh, wow. Okay. Quite a while, yeah. Mate, I just wanted to call up and say you're doing an awesome job. And <laughs> I'm sick and tired of these idiots calling and sending emails. Yeah. You know, saying and trying to troll you for no reason. Oh, it's all right. I yeah. don't mind. Look, it's all about getting reactions out of people. That's why I do this job. And uh, look, if people get cranky and send me notes, I've got a couple more here. Uh, g'day, Marcus. Anyone still talking about Labor v. Liberal or Democrats v. Republic is not paying attention to what's really going on. See, that's good. This other one yeah. too, uh, Katrina in Newcastle says, Good morning, Marcus. One of the things I most admire about John is that he treats both political parties exactly the same. No favouritism shown. You are so obviously a Labour voter regards Katrina in Newcastle. Well, Katrina, I'm not John Laws. I don't pretend to be. I don't. As- well, I aspire to be hopefully as good as him one day. But I'm me and I call things out as I see it. And I'll be perfectly honest. And I, I'm sure you'll agree with this, Stefan. If it yeah, was Labor, if it was Labor in power right now, and the amount of rorting of taxpayer dollars, both in New South Wales and at a federal level, was going on, I'd be calling it out. I'm not about. I'm sick to death of these left, right, left, right. It's not about <laughs> politics or which party they're from. It's about corrupt behaviour. And I'm sick to death of apologists like Katrina who quite simply just want to make it, you know, about what political party. I mean, some of the uh, some of the corrupt behaviour and another one here saying a politician is corrupt is a serious claim for someone so uneducated. You have remarkable insights beyond many eminent community members. I don't know who this person is, but I've got their mobile phone number. I wish they'd, you know, get a pair like you have, Stefan, and actually call me and discuss this. If you're relating to what I said about Barnaby Joyce, I have reams of evidence that suggests that Barnaby misused taxpayer dollars. I paid an example for I played an example for you just a short while ago to my texter. Maybe I'll call this person. I bet you you won't answer the phone. Hey? Eh? For someone so educated, I tell you what, I can ga- damn well guarantee you that I've done a hell of a lot more work on the issue in order for me to make my claim than what you have, apart from just getting on your text on your little mobile phone there and having a crack at me, Barnaby Joyce is corrupt. He's a bloke who has mismanaged taxpayer dollars. He was paid nearly $700,000 as a water envoy by taxpayers, by you, dear texter. Are you happy with what you got for your money? Are you happy that he uh, corresponded? The only reports he made as a water envoy were via text to the Prime Minister. You should be jumping up and down about that. Or are we used to this now? Do we not care about this standard of behaviour? 
Are we happy just for, you know, these politicians to go and do whatever the hell they want, spend whatever sort of money they want without any uh, consequences or fear of being called out for it? Well, I'm happy to call it out. So, dear texter, if you want to ring up and have a discussion about it and put your so-called education above mine on this issue, I'm more than happy to take your call. Thing is, you won't because you're a coward who hides behind your mobile phone sending a text. 13 12 69. This is Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, let's go to Anthony. Hello, mate. Anthony. Yeah, sorry, mate. I got too quick and I realised. That's How okay, mate. I'm well, thank you. What's on your mind? Um, <clears throat> I've only just caught the last few minutes of your show. I've been out and about, but obviously you, you must have had an interview with Anthony Albanese earlier today, did you? Uh, on the breakfast show, yes. Oh, right, yeah. Um, this my, <clears throat> I, I, I quite like him. He seems like a good bloke, but I, I think the chance of him being leader of the Labor Party come next election are probably 50-50 at best. Well, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, look, I don't know. Uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. Yeah, and you're talking about people, or you know, some people anyway, being not happy with politics in the country at the moment, either side of the fence. Probably my mind going great, especially with the federal uh, government at the moment, is I think I'm, I'm very angry they're not putting these states in the line. I think the states have um, way overstepped their mark for as these border controls and all the rest that's concerned. It should be more of a, a national approach. And... Um, I think I actually talked to you about this before, the failure of federalism in this country. It's, I, I think that's one of the big problems. Well, yes, although I, I think it takes a, uh, a very strong and formidable leader at a federal level in order to actually want to pull the states into line. Because Scott Morrison, he has the power. He has the yes. power under the Constitution uh, to enable legislation and to enact laws in order to pull recalcitrant states in line. Yeah, and the last time we had a Prime Minister like him or hate him that probably would have had the, the gonad to do that <laughs> would be um, John Howard. Probably, absolutely. And he was a great Prime Minister. Uh, I don't well, agree. Yeah. Again, you know, I don't agree with everything that uh, Mr Howard did, but there's no doubting the love for his country. Look, I, I don't know. Uh, Scott Morrison, I just... It just the fakeness of it all just frustrates me. Whether he's hopping into a bloody jet plane for a photo opportunity, he takes his photographer with him everywhere. I just think the bloke is all slogans and no substance. You know, no wonder Anthony Albanese calls him promo. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm off the uh, off the planet here. According to a number of texts that I'm getting, apparently I am. Uh-huh, boomers. Hello, Mary. Hello, Marcus. What a wonderful job you are doing for all those violin players. <laughs> Could you tell them to open their eyes and their, their ears to Robert Stewart, to Angus Taylor, to Mackenzie? How much rooting, how much, how much more before they can understand these guys are just feathering their own nest and their mates, not for the country for their own benefit. And it kills me when they say, we're working very hard. You are rotting the system to get to the position you are at, and then you say, I'm working hard. 
Nobody trusted their arm to do that job. Well, to be honest, if there was money to made through political donations and you could feather your own nest, I'd work pretty bloody hard too, wouldn't you? Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. If you want to have your say, Chris on the open line. Hello, Chris. Oh, g'day, Marcus. How are you going? All Listen, right. Barnaby Joyce. Ugh. I've got. Uh, never mind. I've got. A, I've got to confess. I don't mind Barnaby. All right. But in in, in the water deal, mm. Barnaby's in trouble for buying the water back at a profit. Uh, shouldn't Angus Taylor be mentioned in this? He one is. That... He is mentioned in it. I just didn't oh. play that bit yet. It's all right. Oh, We're I getting to that. Yeah, I, I, He's the one that, that set up the water deal where it had to be bought back originally. Well, and also he's the one who apparently sat on the board of this company where the, <laughs> the money went to. Hello? That's exactly correct. Tom, mate. Thank you. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah, look, the full um, investigation, if you want to have a look at it and educate uh, and get a little educated on the well, what I'm talking about, I mean that with respect, uh, because it is complex. And that's why it's important to research. And that's what I've done. That's what Jordan Shanks have done, Michael West has done, and all the other independent journalists that actually give a damn and want to uncover this sort of stuff because you won't read about it in the Daily Telegraph. Okay? You won't read about it in the Mur- Murdoch Press. You won't hear about it on 2GB. You'll hear about it on my program because it's hidden. Why? Well, I'll leave that up to you to decide. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. the telephone number. Robert, good morning. How are you, Robert? Yeah, Marcus. Good morning to you. Thank you, mate. I was wondering, I wonder if you could throw an opinion out, mate, and maybe we can save somebody's life. Mm. I'm sure you're aware of these motorways, and I'm talking particularly about the, the road between Taree and Newcastle. It's basically a concrete road yeah. with curb and guttering on both sides. Mm-hmm. Now, they're spending hours and hours mowing lawns. However... During We've got some heavy rain coming in the near future and over the past many, many years there's been many accidents where these drains, I mean the road has to be cambered one way or the other and all the water either goes one way or the other, which is common sense. Yeah. It gets to where the grates are and we've had that much bush uh, fires and everything else. The trees, for whatever reasons, I'm not a geologist, but they've dropped that much bark, it's incredible. Mm. Now the guys are mowing there, but nobody's taking the effort to clean the drains that collect the beer, the bottles, cans, etc., etc., in these grates. Hence, the the rain comes down to the, that area, then goes across the road, at you know, at at, uh, at ninety degrees to the drain. And that so can people, cause that can be very dangerous. It can cause cars to to slip and slide and all the rest of it, particularly well, if there I, is heavy rain. And the the drains are blocked with all this leaf litter. Yeah, well, they've just spent a fortune on the four-mile, which is the road down into Taree, redoing the wire after the last lot of rain, and it's all knocked down again because the camber of the road there, I've written to the RTA way back when it was the RTA, never yeah. even got a response. But now I'm seeing the same thing coming. Now, we've got heavy rain coming. Uh, in that last lot of rain, there was cars. See, once a car and caravan, and all due respect, the caravan, is, I've got a lot of time for them, they try and do what they can but they're not aware of what happens when they start to plane the car and the caravan takes over. It's like the, da- the, the tail wagging the dog, you know, and they're just off the road. And it just I was talking to a couple only the other day and it just ruined their whole, what they've saved up for, to go away for, you know, 10 or 15 years. And here they are, wrecked car, caravan, and destroyed mentally because they're not sure what caused it, you know, but it's simply aquaplaning. 
Well, that's right. Uh, and look, I don't understand why when they, you know, council spend a lot of ratepayers' money, as you know, rightly so, uh, you know, doing curbside uh, uh, cutting of grass and ensuring that it all looks good. Uh, but I, I'd imagine, too, they need to get into the drains and start pulling out all that rubbish. Well, it, it, look, honestly, two blokes with a shovel, and that's where the problem, the manual side of it. I mean, they've got robotic mowers now where they, the guy sits in an air-conditioned car and the, the mower is robotically operated from the car and they work it there. But really, I'd like somebody to try and get in touch with whoever, the, whoever controls that sort of thing to clean the drains. I mean, they're there. They're mowing the lawns, for God's sake. All right, mate. Great call. Appreciate it. All right, Marcus. Thanks. All right. You have a good morning. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Uh, I want to say to a, hello to a couple of people who are listening. Uh, Michael Willits. Word of warning, the wanker is on today instead of Lawsy. This is on the fake John Laws Facebook page. People send me the screenshots of all of these every time. <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, here we go. John Fitzpatrick, good morning to you. Lila Parkey, good morning to you. Uh, who else have we got? Matt Cohn. Well, Matt really likes me. Uh, Jeremy Bryant, thank you for all the wonderful kind words uh, that you make. Some of them can't be broadcast, and I'm one that quite often uses obscenities. Yeah, there is a, a group uh, called the 2SM John Laws Talkback Radio. It's a private group on Facebook. All it basically is is a hate group where they attack me. I mean, sometimes they even attack Lawsy. It's run by a woman by the name of Elsa Matthews. I think she's from Sydney Southwest. Uh, and she's a nasty piece of work. Linda, um, Linda, I don't know what your surname is, Howard or something. She's another one that's on there. She's another nasty piece of work. I think we're, we're going to get to the point very soon where I think uh, many, I mean, not only do they attack me, they attack our news readers. You're just a really nasty bunch of people. And you're using John's good name in order to sprout your hate and your vitriol and your nastiness. I think, look, we threatened to do it before, but I think we're getting to the clo- we're getting pretty close to the point of maybe looking at having this so-called hate group shut down. Because I don't think John would really appreciate using his good name to basically... Uh, oh, yeah, there are links here as well to Dean Mackin. Maybe that explains it all. Uh, Adam, g'day Marcus, sorry the phone cut out must have been because I was on the Wi-Fi Anyway, I wasn't trying to be a good singer, just so you know, have a good day No, that's okay Adam (laughs) You weren't trying to be a good singer Let's be honest, we both know you're not, but that's alright mate, because neither am I Uh, Frank, why do people attack you when you speak the truth? Why don't they come and try and defend Morrison over RoboDebt, Sports Rorts, the Murray Darling, etc.? They won't come on air and defend Morrison because he has and they have no defence. Maybe, Frank. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. People don't like hearing. Quite often, they don't like hearing the truth. And that's what I suspect is behind this fake John Laws talkback radio social media account, which has turned into nothing but a hate page.
Anyway, all power to them. Marcus Paul in the morning. Filling in for John Laws. I thank Marcus. He's a very good broadcaster, full stop. We love this industry. We love what we're doing. Marcus wouldn't mind doing a double at all. Marcus Paul in the morning. Call 131269. All right. Well, thank you uh, for being a part of the program this morning. Uh, we're hoping Lawsy is back tomorrow, fighting fit. Uh, I'm pretty sure he will be. Uh, g'day to Phil. I think Phil might be listening to the program. He sent me uh, a note. Which uh, I love. Marcus, why do you wear a hat in most of your photos? <laughs> well, not most of them. Actually, yeah, you're probably right. Look, the really easy answer is quite often I wake up at Sparrow's Fart in the morning and throw a hat on as I'm too rushed to brush my hair. Also, if you really must know, I've got a Pope's hat that you could land the space shuttle on, mate. 